Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Minions, my name's Tom Mark Wazale, Presidente, and you'll pay homage to me for the next two hours as I guide you through this crazy world of sports. Welcome, you have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world, as well as our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States of America. America. That's right, 917-889-8516 is my digits. And uh, IndyCar back on the track out in the desert in Phoenix at the uh, uh, Desert Diamond Casino uh, Phoenix uh, Grand Prix or something like that. Uh, We're going to be talking about that with Matthew Embry from Popular Open Wheel Now, uh, our official IndyCar contributor. Also, NASCAR out in Texas. Uh, everything goes big in Texas. Of course, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Masters. And Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor has lost his freaking mind. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, uh, we still just got all kinds of NFL rumors to squash and talk about. And, uh, of course, the NBA playoffs as well. All of that. Around the corner, right here on the Balance Radio Network. My name's Tom Mark Westell, Presidente. We'll be right back. Doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? And welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Michaels, El Presidente. Time to kick the things off. Standing by with us now is Mr. Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, good morning to you, sir. How are you? Interesting how this stuff works out, especially at Phoenix. Uh, so far, it seems like the artificial addition of the second groove will help. The uh, question is, though, in the 250 laps from now, uh, will that mean anything? And, uh, Guess what? We got an interesting uh, pole sitter up front, and uh, maybe uh, this is Sebastian Bourdais' year. Absolutely. Bourdais uh, beats Pinsky and aces out uh, to the pole position. Talk with us a little bit about that battle, and we'll get into uh, some of these teams and drivers as they take race number two of the 2018 season out in the desert in Phoenix. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting stuff, obviously. Uh, you know, we have we've had a mixed bag. Uh, even Charlie Kimball, who's starting uh, next to last, was the fastest in the night practice after qualifying. So uh, some interesting things come into play. But yeah, you're right. Uh, for a team like Dale Coyne Racing, that's never finished better than an 11th in an IndyCar race or a kart race at uh, Phoenix. Uh, this certainly is a big bounce forward. But uh, you've got Simon Pagano close, Will Power. And then, obviously, uh, you have uh, the two uh, players in the little battle late at uh, St. Pete, Alexander Rossi and Robert Wickens, along with James Hinchcliffe. So, uh, certainly, uh, who's who up front. And then uh, a few interesting uh, other subplots uh, mixed in as well with uh, Pietro Filippaldi, a board ace teammate starting from P10, and uh, even Kyle Kaiser with a good qualifying run starting uh, 14. So, a couple of the rookies also making some noise. But, obviously, uh, the big question uh, 
Will there be a meeting uh, to get together uh, between uh, Mr. Rossi and Mr. Wickens uh, at some point today, considering they start uh, right in front of each other uh, coming up uh, coming up tonight? And I believe we may have lost time. Uh, if that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm here, Matt. I'm sorry. I did my normal. Uh, uh, forgot to un- unplug my mic. Go ahead. And, and I didn't hear the last part you said, sir. So yeah, the big possibilities out there, I think, right now is what's going to happen between Wickens and Rossi. Obviously, that was the big story at the end of the race at St. Pete. Uh, have they come to terms? Uh, will there be, you know, a little bump and run action going on or something like that late in the race if it's between them again? Uh, be very curious to see what happens, but uh, obviously uh, Mr. Wick is not impressed uh, with what Rossi did uh, last month at St. Pete. Help us get to know a little bit about the racetrack out there in Phoenix. It's a different type of layout. Uh, certainly, I think it's a, a good track to watch if you're watching it on television. And I say that because it just seems to have a little bit of a different twist uh, to it. And if you're there at it, maybe you're only seeing portions of it. But I could be wrong. I've never been to that track. Uh, but talk with us a little bit about uh, Phoenix and the race uh, track itself. Fortunately, the nature about it is there's only one really good, realistic place to pass it, is at the end of the main straightaway into Turn 1, because of the dogleg on the backstretch. It just makes it tough to get alongside and be able to complete a pass, considering how quick and how unstable the cars are through 3 and 4, the flattest part of the track, but it's the fastest part of the track as far as turn-wise. So being able to get off of Turn 4 and giving yourself a chance to make overtakes at Turn 1 I think is going to be paramount, especially in the last few years when uh, passing has been extremely difficult, including uh, clearing lap traffic for the leaders. So being able to get through that uh, I think is going to be a key to winning, uh, certainly uh, when we get to the action tonight because uh, there's going to be a lot of traffic to deal with at some point in this race, considering now we have a 23-car field as opposed to just a 20-car field last year. Talking with... uh... Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, talking with us a little bit about IndyCar out in Phoenix tomorrow. So let's uh, let's uh, kind of start going through with these teams and these stables, if you will. Uh, Charlie Kimball uh, was the fastest practice and night practice last night. Talk with us a little bit about Charlie Kimball. Uh, sounds like he's kind of getting his groove, uh, no pun intended, there at Phoenix. Not necessarily. I mean, Carlin, once again, disappointed in qualifying. Uh, Chilton only qualified 21st out of 23. Kimball qualified 22nd. So both of those guys have something to prove, uh, I think, looking ahead to, you know, the Indianapolis 500. If there is more than 33 cars, it could be as many as 36 to 37 now. Uh, I'd be very nervous if I were Trevor Carlin at this point, uh, looking ahead to the month of May. You may not even get a car in the field uh, if this keeps up. Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, talk with us a little bit about some of the challenges he's seeing out there in Phoenix. Eighth position, obviously. I think he's going to be a beer friend when we get to Indianapolis. Uh, he does have the victory at Iowa Speedway a couple of years ago, so certainly he can capable of winning on these tracks. Also has a cart win at Milwaukee, so certainly capable. But, uh, I mean, he and Rossi have fared well. The other half of it, though, not so good. I mean, Zach Beach qualified dead last for this race, and uh, – Despite with the throwback car, Marco Andretti did no better than 20th. So uh, it's a mixed bag, I guess, for Andretti Osborne at this point, where they've got two good runners and two uh, not-so-good runners at this point. 
Well, certainly buckle up because the Verizon IndyCar Series uh, is just getting underway. And certainly as we get geared up uh, for the Indianapolis 500, uh, we're all eyes are on IndyCar uh, right now. So let's talk a little bit about, we'll go through some of these teams here. You talk with us a little bit about what they're doing for the uh, desert race and maybe where they're at now. We'll start with Ed Carpenter Racing because they're, they're local right here. Disappointing qualifying again. Uh, Ed Carpenter only 18th. Uh, Spencer Piggott only 15th. Um, of course, they struggled last year in qualifying here at Phoenix and then bounced back at Indianapolis, but uh, they're going to need to figure the things out quick because I think the numbers uh, tell the story right now. Chevrolet is still at a disadvantage in terms of the power output, and I think it's just going to be manifested even more when we get to Indianapolis next month. Uh, unless Chevrolet uh, has a new engine version coming in or something like that that provides a little more horsepower, uh, they may have to rely on the Hondas blowing up like some of them did last year if they're going to have a chance uh, to possibly win the race uh, in the late stages. The Desert Diamond Valley, uh, Desert, I'll get it right, the Desert Diamond West Valley Casino Grand Prix. Matthew, we've got as to do something. As bizarre as that gets, short. I just call it the Phoenix Grand Prix. I just say Phoenix Grand Prix. <laughs> That's what I've done on all my popular open-wheel articles is Phoenix Grand Prix. I am not even trying that. That's like uh, trying Woo! to say uh, the old Navy quarterback's name, Kaipo Noah Iniaku and Hada, I guess was his name uh, back several years ago. <laughs> Well, certainly they have back-to-back race weekends and, of course, uh, oval testing here in Indianapolis. Uh, But before you know it, the month of May uh, will be here. Let's talk a little bit about some of the elephants in the room, if you will, or the biggest teams out there, and that is one of them is uh, certainly uh, uh, Team Penske. Talk with us about Team Penske as they get ready for the Phoenix Grand Prix. You start to wonder if this, after this year, Penske's going to stay with Chevrolet. Obviously, they have the Honda Acura deal in IMSA. Is this where Roger says, okay, it's not going to work with Chevrolet. I want out of this thing. I want a Honda engine for next year for my three cars. Uh, if things don't improve, I think that could be one of the big stories uh, looking at 2019, the silly season. Does Penske keep with Chevrolet, or do they switch with Honda to be on you know, the same uh, base like they are in IMSA where they have a Honda Acura deal? I think that's the big question right now, especially if Chevrolet continues to struggle. Talk with us a little bit about that. You know, that's a good point that you bring up about Chevrolet continuing to struggle. Last year, we kind of saw the, those struggles with Honda. This year, we're kind of seeing the struggles with Chevrolet. What do you think is causing those uh, struggles? Well, the thing is, Honda was good. The thing that was masked, though, is that Penske was good, but they had the Chevrolet engine. But then you saw the other Chevrolet teams struggling. So I think it got masked for a year or two, but... All of a sudden, now year three, Honda's taking another step forward, Chevrolet's taking another step backward, and you can only do so much to hide your faults. And I think uh, the captain's starting to figure that out right now. Granted, uh, we did see, you know, an ECR car and a Foyt car in the Firestone Fast Six last time out at St. Pete. Uh, those two cars, for instance, uh, Matthias Leist was only 16th, and as I mentioned, uh, Ed Carpenter now in the Jordan King car that was the Jordan King car at St. Pete only was 18th. So. Uh, you look at the list, but again, the other surprise, Scott Dixon. He has a Honda. How is he only 17th? That's a head-scratcher to me that not only does he only end up 17th, but he also gets out-qualified by his uh, lesser-experienced teammate, Ed Jones. 
Absolutely. So talk with us a little bit about uh, – I'm sorry, we did team, team Penske already. I, I'm losing my mind. Uh, Chip Canassi Racing, what are your thoughts, sir? Did the issues they had with the mistakes and that start is starting to get in their head or something? Because Scott Dixon is not this bad of a driver. Uh, I mean, 17th uh, with the engine choice. I mean, that was only one Honda driver was slower than he was, and that was Marco Andretti. So that's not a good sign right there. Uh, you also had Ed Jones back there. Uh, the two Rahal cars, Graham Rahal, Takuma Sato, were only 12th and 13th. So while some of the Hondas did do well, uh, there was also some notable Hondas that didn't do so well, and uh, they are marred back in the field. But uh, like I said, uh, with a team like uh, the Ganassi team, I think they'll bounce back at Indy. The question is, though, is staying power right now because uh, they certainly have not helped themselves. Of course, when you only have two cars as opposed to four last year, I think there's also seeing right now they don't have as many things where, you know, in the years past, they could take the Chilton and Kimball cars last year and really test, you know, maybe gamble on a few things with them. And if it works, then they could flip it over to the next car in line. I don't know if they necessarily can do that now with just two cars uh, without really possibly stubbing their toes. And I think you saw that in qualifying uh, for St. Pete, and I think you're seeing it in qualifying here at Phoenix where they are marred near the back of the pack. And if, unless they go off sequence, which is tough to do on a Noble, uh, they could have a very long day at the office uh, coming up tonight. Speaking of long days at the office, Marco Andretti and Andretti, we've talked about them on the show before, Andretti Autosports. Of course, you're also over there with Andretti. You've got Zach Beach and you've got uh, Alexander Rossi and, and uh, Ryan hunter Ray, and you've got Marco Andretti. But all eyes are on Marco Andretti for the, his season to uh, turn around this year, or his career, I should say. It's tough third wheel. I mean, it's tough. I mean, when the expectations and you are expecting, when you got a name like that, I mean, it was tough for A.J. Foyt the fourth. It was tough for Marco, um, Larry Foyt. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kyle Petty. It is tough to be the next guy in line and expected to match what your father or your family members have done. And sometimes the expectations get too great. I mean, yeah, Marco had a very solid rookie season, one in his first year. But he's only won one race since then, and, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't click. I mean, it didn't click for Kyle Petty. I mean, his dad wins 200 races. Kyle Petty only wins 10. And Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, his father wins over 80. He only wins, like, 30. So uh, it's tough to repeat history, and the expectations become too much. I mean, even Graham Rahal's having a tough time. I mean, yeah, he's had some good results through the last few seasons, but he's – struggled to match his dad as well. So some of these family things, as far as the genes being there, maybe we're overrating things a little bit and maybe being unfair on that. Uh, that's the only way I could uh, contemplate uh, what's going on with Marco at this point, is maybe that family pressure is starting to become too much. Well, you know, that brings me to the next team that I was going to bring up anyway, and that's uh, Ray Hall Letterman uh, uh, racing there. Uh, you know, Graham Ray Hall, as you just mentioned, but also Soto over there, uh, the uh, defending Indianapolis 500 uh, champion is uh, with Graham Ray Hall. And I'm starting to wonder how good along they're getting. I mean, there's been good talks about that, but you've got two very hungry drivers that do not want to give way for anybody. And you wonder if they're going to start grinding right now if they do not start getting the results. So that's one relationship as far as teammate-wise for Sato and Ray Hall. I'm curious to see how that fares uh, 
as the races and the season goes on, if that one uh, we start having you know a little bit of bickering between the two, hopefully uh, having Sir Irvia there as a middleman for Indy will calm that down enough where they get a good Indy result. But beyond that, uh, it could be very interesting. Maybe it's a few fireworks uh, between uh, teammates here at Rayall Letterman. You know, as we move on down the list, one of my favorite teams as a fan, because certainly one of my favorite drivers, James Hinchcliffe, uh, drives for Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, uh, and uh, who has had five wins in one pole. You've got Robert Wickens. You talked with a, a little bit about him. I, I, I'm, I'm moderately impressed with Wickens this year. And, and, uh, and the, of course, you've got Jack Harvey as well. Uh, so Schmidt-Peterson has grabbed the, the DTM uh, exile Robert Wickens. Uh, so talk with us a little bit about that relationship, how it came together, and talk with us a little bit about the team chemistry, which seems to be doing well over at Schmidt-Peterson uh, Motorsports in the Honda. Right. Reminds me when Pele and his friends were asking Brazil to bring in Garincha despite multiple leg injuries, and it was a good thing they brought him in. And same thing with Schmidt-Peterson. James Hinchcliffe has been pushing Sam and Rick to bring in Wickens. Finally, they listen. He has the great race at St. Pete. He has another good qualifying run here, which is impressive for a fast learner for a first time on an oval. Uh, I'm starting to get the thinking that he could not only be not just, you know, the the rock-solid pick for Indy 500 Rookie of the Year and Sunoco Rookie of the Year for the series, he actually may have a shot at winning the 500. I mean, he has the aggression you're looking for and the patience that you're looking for if he is up there for the victory i i would say he is certainly a threat uh, possibly to do something and now it gives schmidt two chances to win as opposed to one i think you had you know a decent qualifier mikhail lotion last year but not necessarily a great racer on that team and that's why he struggled and was never a factor at the 500 as opposed to hinch i think now you've got two bona fide chances uh, possibly to give uh, schmidt their first uh, true win, of course, they provided the car that Dan Weldon used to win in 2011 for Brian Herta. But uh, their first true victory uh, to go along with a couple of polls, they've also managed uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So a lot of optimism if you're in the Schmidt-Peterson camp right now. Well, you know, you got to realize uh, Hinch is uh, one of those drivers that can be extremely fast on any type of track. Remember those excellent qualifying performances in the in the first half of last year and extremely uh, – he's, he's very brave in wheel-to-wheel uh, situations, and he'll be working with uh, race engineer Alina uh, Grade, who's uh, not only the, uh, the team uh, – not only – to the team, but also to the branch of the sport as well. So I, I think we're we, we going to like Hinch's possibilities of winning in Indianapolis, that's for sure. Ed Carpenter Racing, we mentioned him in passing a little bit, but certainly Ed Carpenter Racing, and then he's got Jordan King and, and Spencer Pickett as well. Yeah, King looked good at uh, St. Pete before he fell out because of the mechanical issues. Pickett uh Left, I think, something on the table at St. Pete. I thought he was going to be a much bigger factor than he proved to be. And uh, considering this is his first oval race, uh, maybe no surprise that he is down the list. But I think it is surprising, though, that he out-qualifies Ed Carpenter. And, again, it brings up the question, uh, how much uh, does Carpenter left in the tank like we uh, asked last week? Absolutely. Another fan favorite uh, of a team's anyway in uh, drivers is A.J. Foyt. Tony Kanaan over there with A.J. Foyt, uh, as well as uh, Elise, uh, which is the the rookie over there. A.J. Foyt Racing, what say you, sir? 
well, maybe this Foyt thing's working out after all for Kanan. Now he's not expected to be a challenger, and maybe he catches us by surprise, and that means the pressure's off, and maybe we get to see uh, the old Kanan of old uh, maybe challenge for a thing. That would be good to see, you know, a Foyt car up there up front in Indianapolis, something we have not seen in at least, you know, 10 years, if not longer than that. So that's never a bad thing. And uh, Leist uh, looks real good. Uh, if he could control his, you know, aggression, uh, he certainly uh, could be in a challenge. I just don't think it's going to be here, though, at the Oval uh, at Phoenix because this is a very tough challenge for, you know, a first-time Oval racer uh, to be able to challenge, and you're probably taking on probably the toughest of the short ovals that the IndyCar drivers face all year. You know, uh, the – this team takes the pole. DCR, Dale Coyne uh, Racing, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, four championships, 36 wins, 33 poles. You've got uh, uh, DiMalo uh, as well, and you've got uh, uh, Fittipaldi as well, uh, uh, Petro uh, Fittipaldi, I'm sorry, uh, who's a rookie as well uh, with uh, Dale Coyne Racing. Of course, he'll feature Pippa Mann uh, in the Indianapolis 500. Dale Coyne Racing or DCR, what say you, sir? And, of course, don't forget Connor Daly also for the Indianapolis 500. Uh, no Clement DeMeo this week. Obviously, he's focused on road courses. Uh, Fittipaldi's had a decent debut. And keep in mind, as I said, uh, again, you, if you go by the familial ties, his dad won this race in 1994. Uh, or his grandson or his granddad won this race in 1994. Emerson <laughs> Fittipaldi, uh, not in that. So get the information there correct for me. I apologize <laughs> for that. But uh, if you're looking for a surprise, maybe Fittipaldi has something. If he, again, if he can keep his nose clean, unlike what happened with Lest uh, last week. And uh, Orday, uh, obviously, Craig Hampson, and they've also added even more personnel this past offseason. Uh, clearly, Dale Coyne Racing believes now that they are not just, you know, you know a flash in the pan team. They are now a bona fide championship contender with that Honda engine, and uh, they are have loosened the purse strings and gone out all the stops to try to win this. Now, hopefully the same doomsday pattern that happened in May does not happen again somewhere along the way here, because if it doesn't and they are still in it, uh, I would not be surprised to see that Seal Master car in the challenge for the Astor Cup. If not, uh, if Bordet could continue to fire in the good results, especially on the oval tracks where supposedly he's not as strong, uh, he has as good chance as any uh, to rest that uh, number one play in the Astor Cup away from uh, Joseph Newgarden. Carlin Racing, Char uh, Charlie Kimball, as we mentioned, had the fastest in uh, night practice last night, as well as Max Chilton. What say you, sir? This is a team that's got to get their act together quick. Uh, like I said, uh, I had them among the regulars right off the bat, considering their success in Indy Lights and what they had done based on testing numbers, and they have been nowhere close to that. I mean, it's almost like the Catherine F1 team, the first year when they came in in F1, they had Heike Kovalainen and Vitaly Petrov, and you're thinking they're going to be you know, a challenger, and they never were. They were among the back markers the entire, along with the, all the other new teams. And it's just like that right now. I mean, I don't think I expected them, especially in the case of Carlin, to be out-qualified as bad as they were from uh, Yunkos races, the team that they badly out-qualified St. Pete. So a uh, bunch of head-scratchers. And at the same time, uh, Harding Racing also a little bit down the list with Gabby Chavez. I think they would have been a little bit higher up the list. I think if you're uh, James Davison, who could be a second seat uh, for Harding, uh, all of a sudden now you're a little bit concerned about uh, the month of May ahead and trying to make the field. So Carlin's, I think, in a little bit of a funk right now, 
And uh, I think you could say the same thing about Harding. Now, granted, Harding, I think, can bounce back based on the fact they got a top 10 last year at Indy. But uh, with more cars in the field now, uh, you've got to take a serious look if you are down in that bottom third of the list, uh, like the list I posted, me and uh, my IndyCar expert colleague uh, David Land posted this week on Twitter. Uh, if you are, you know, Yunkos, Carlin, any of these other teams, Harding, you're more than just get a little bit nervous right now as far as the field entering, I mean, it's the field's so big. In fact, we've heard things where Bob Lazira said his son Buddy uh, will not even enter because they're too concerned about being able to get in the field. Absolutely. So we got just a little bit more time here with you here, uh, Matthew, before we got to switch gears over to uh, NASCAR. But uh, Harding Racing Chevrolet, uh, got, uh, Gabby Chavez uh, with that them. What are your thoughts, sir? Still learning the tracks right now. I think they could continue to get to the finish. That's their biggest concern right now. But like I said, uh, their season is about making the Indianapolis 500, not with just one car, but with two, with James Davison supposedly joining the team uh, with the Jonathan Bird estate money. So uh, a make-or-break time coming up for them uh, next month when we get to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Jim Coles Racing Chevrolet. You've got uh, Kyle Kaiser and uh, Binder uh, there. Who are both I'm feeling a lot thought. better. I'm feeling a lot better with if you're going by what Kaiser did in qualifying than what Bender did in qualifying St. Pete. If you're going by Bender's information, you're not feeling so good looking ahead to Indy. But I think uh, since Kyle Kaiser's behind the wheel, if Kaiser can keep his nose clean, avoid the practice crash that throws the team back or throws them for a loop, uh, I think he has a much better chance to make the field. Uh, as opposed to what I viewed uh, a few days ago when I posted that list on Twitter, which you saw, Tom, where I had him as the first one out. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down the Phoenix Grand Prix with us. Late race tonight for us uh, old people here uh, in the Midwest. 9 o'clock start, uh, sir, but it is a fun uh, race to watch under the lights. Uh, Any final thoughts or words of wisdom on this particular race, sir? Well, I'll be quick here because I know you're running out of time when I get to your NASCAR segment, but I will say uh, if I'm willing to give Penske one more chance to figure this out, and as far as winning tonight, uh, I guess I will go with willpower, and then if they can't get it done here, uh, it could be a while before uh, they find the victory circle if what the information is telling me went based on the struggle between Honda and Chevrolet at this point. Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel Now. Matthew, do you want to stick around and talk some NASCAR with us? I can talk a little NASCAR with you, sure. Okay, we'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. My name is Tom Mark with Presidente. We'll be right back. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to the balance half hour in the books. Thanks to uh, Matthew Embry of um, po- at Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, having this breakdown the Phoenix Grand Prix happening tonight. He's also stuck around to talk to NASCAR. We are efforting to get uh, Steve Wilson, editor and publisher of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, on with us. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly where he's at. But he'll be here, I'm sure. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming, anyway. So, uh, Matthew, we continue our conversation, but we switch our gears over to NASCAR. Uh, the Monster Energy Series is out in Texas. Everything is big in Texas as they compete for the six-shooter uh, uh, race out there, as they compete for actual six-shooters uh, for the win as well. I tell you what, NASCAR's got some unique trophies, that's for sure. You've got the grandfather clock, uh, and uh, you've got just a lot of different types of uh, fun trophies with NASCAR. As we look at this race going in uh, to uh, this weekend out in Texas, what are your thoughts there, uh, Matt? I think you actually got it mixed up there, uh, Tom. It's that's the thing about like similar to drink in the mill. I think actually the trophy is a boot and spur uh, trophy on a little mount mantle right there, uh, as opposed to the six shooters. But they do get the six shooters as well. Yeah, they shoot them, but that's uh, kind of like drinking the milk or kissing the bricks, bricks at India, essentially. I got it. 
I'm with you now. All right. We get, now that we got all that straightened out, uh, so certainly uh, Bush uh, uh, gets uh, the Kurt Bush uh, leads the the field uh, Sunday in the pole position. Obviously, uh, qualifying cut short because of weather. Talk with us a little bit about Texas Motor Speedway. Well, how about Stuart Haas Racing going one, two, three and qualifying, and Ford's going one, two, three, four. Toyota's looking good as well, but uh, Chevrolet's only have two in the top ten right now. Obviously, you know, you got a lot of young pre- prospects at Chevrolet, but uh, they need to start picking up the pace uh, if they're going to remain competitive. And it's odd considering uh, Chevrolet struggling, uh, considering how much they've dominated some of these events, especially like the Brickyard 400, for instance. But uh, they're well down the list. Obviously, you got the highest-placed car there, Jimmy Johnson, who does not have a sponsor for next season. And Kyle Larson, uh, Credit One Bank, uh, is on the last year of their current sponsorship deal with uh, Earnhardt Ganassi. So a lot of question marks about them. And then you look further down the list, uh, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, the three Toyotas, uh, will they start piecing the puzzle together and start becoming competitive? Uh, I mean, yes, Martin Truex Jr. has one victory, but uh, Hamlin and Busch uh, have had their struggles uh, to start the season. You know, uh, certainly one of the, the drivers that we'll see here in Indianapolis, Danica Patrick, uh, will finish her racing career. She raced in both IndyCar and NASCAR. She finished up her uh, NASCAR racing uh, career uh, with uh, Daytona. Let me ask you this. What are your thoughts on Danica Patrick, why she did not go from really being a uh, uh, superstar to a megastar? Because I think that a lot of people think that she's a megastar. Uh, certainly she's a superstar in the aspect of a name and brand recognition, but she could just never get to that hump as far as winning races, uh, which I think would make her a megastar. And as much as she's done for the, the, the sport of racing itself, both in IndyCar and NASCAR for female drivers, I don't know that we'll see her in the Hall of Fame with NASCAR, or I don't know where her legacy lies right now. Do you, do you know where that disconnection between her being a star off the track or just as more of a as a marketing person, if you will, for the brand as opposed to winning races. Why could she never get over that hump? Well, when you market yourself that highly, sometimes you run the risk of overrating somebody, and I don't think, believe Mark Danica was that great of a driver. Now, she was a solid driver, but there is a difference, Tom, between whether you're a great or a solid driver. I mean, and she just couldn't never get over the hump. I mean, she had her chances to win races, you know, at Daytona, Talladega, a couple times, Martinsville. But ultimately, she could not take advantage of, you know, her road course experience. She couldn't do any damage at Sonoma or Watkins Glen. Uh, she had her chances. She just, I don't know if the pressure got to her or just maybe she just got a little bit too much hype or whatever the case was. She couldn't handle the hype. But uh, ultimately, she just... Uh, he had the opportunity and just couldn't grab the brass ring. Uh, like, obviously, I'm sure she would have liked to have been able to do so in the course of her career. And I think this, you can make the same case in any car because she had multiple chances to win uh, races there, and she only claimed uh, one victory. Absolutely. Well, as 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 we talked about, we talked about Kurt Busch getting the pole uh, in a weather-shortened uh, type of, of uh, qualifying, so certainly enough to qualify uh, to, to get to the the uh, pole. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of these drivers. You mentioned them uh, in, in, in your rundown there, but we'll just kind of go through them ourselves. Kyle Busch uh, is the leader uh, right now as far as in points goes, and the Busch brothers are always uh, two very competitive brothers, and certainly you either love or hate the Busch brothers, and a lot of times – 
uh, people might love one and hate the other, but for the most part, uh, their fan base is kind of uh, synonymous with each other. And uh, so the Bush brothers are certainly very competitive um, uh, drivers, as as we know. Kurt Busch uh, got the uh, got the pole. And Kyle Busch leads in the point standings. Talk with us a little bit about that uh, brotherly love, if you will. I mean, yeah, I mean, different teams, but uh, you really don't hear much of them being there. Obviously, you know, with Kurt's issues, I think Kyle tried to kind of stay away and try to be his own man so the guy gets swallowed up and, you know, being the bad boy. Of course, he, with his on-track panic, he kind of put that upon himself as it was anyway. Um, but uh, the thing is, though, is can he keep his nose placed for a tire season? We've seen him get off to solid starts like this and then been unable to back it up. So he still has a lot to prove. Like, keep in mind, yeah, he's leading the points, but he does not have the victory yet. So technically, he's not in the chase of it yet either. So he still has some work to do, and obviously he needs to get that victory to assure just in case he knows he gets into one of these slumps where he starts uh, dropping down the points, and then we have multiple drivers winning races, those spots get taken away quickly in the chase, so he needs to win a race here sooner or later so he can ease the pressure and then focus in on, you know, looking ahead to the chase itself as opposed to just trying to stay in the chase uh, by going winless to the first half of the regular season. The Notre Dame hockey team is headed to the Frozen Four for the fourth time in the last 11 years. I think we've got some bleed over here. There you go. There we go. I got it. Uh, I think we were we were bleeding over channels there. So you cut out right there at the very beginning. And uh, welcome to live radio. That happens from time to time. Uh, but uh, t- I did not hear the v- very last par- part that you said there because of the bleed over. Well, the thing is, keep in mind, yeah, he's leading the points, but he has no victories yet. So he's technically not in the chase. And we saw uh, 14, 15 drivers, I believe, win races last year. So even with that, he's still got some work to do to make sure he makes it into, you know, the playoffs. And there is still uh, several things that he's got to do firsthand before he gets that done. And, you know, it's sometimes a tougher task than meets the eye and ultimately and get yourself in trouble if you're not uh, able to get that job done. We're talking with Matthew Embry of that popular open wheel now, uh, who's been nice enough to hang over with us with the uh, uh, NASCAR segment. Uh, we're efforting to get a hold of Steve Wilson. I have uh, texted him. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe he, he's got a sick kid or something. I'm not sure. Those things happen, but we move on down the road. Martin Truex Jr., what say you, sir? Obviously, he's a man to beat. Obviously, he's got the victory. He's in the chase now. But kind of playing a little possum right now, not dominating like he did, but again, you don't, with the way the point system is, if you have a race win, you're already in the chase. So really, you don't have to dominate like uh, you do have in IndyCar, where you know the system is based on consistency and you know being able to run up front in every race, not just you know getting a race win and getting yourself in for the chase. But uh, I think they'll be involved there. It'd be interesting to see though how competitive they are now as a single car team again, where they don't have you know the ability to test things like they did when Eric Jones was a member of that team a year ago. Ryan Blaney, what are your thoughts? He was third in standings. Solid start. Uh, once he, I think he gets the first win under his belt, I think he's going to start winning a bunch. Uh, same goes with Keselowski and Logano, who also are right up near the front uh, looking ahead to Sunday. 
Let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the drivers that we aren't seeing anymore. And you mentioned Jimmy Johnson not having a sponsor for next year. And I think what we, what we know, what, and the reason we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago on the show here, but the thing about it is Lowe's is ending their uh, longtime sponsorship with Hendricks. Now, we can look at this at two different ways. And we see the same thing over in IndyCar and other series as well. It is expensive to, to run a race team. And uh, certainly Lowe's has been a staple with Hendricks Motorsports for many, 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 many years. That uh, Hendricks Motorsports and Lowe's and Jimmy Johnson have been united as one for a long time. Now, Jimmy Johnson has not made any formal announcement that he's going to retire. But you would think with the type of relationship that Hendricks Motorsports and Lowe's had, that there might be a little bit of the behind-the-scenes tip of the hat, if you will. And so maybe they let them know that something that we don't know, and that is that this is it for Jimmy Johnson, and so they ended their their uh, relationship or it could just be financial and it's just business what are your thoughts well one guy that does not want him to retire is rick hendrick right now because he's got three youngsters who are absolutely struggling at this point i mean william byron is struggling through his first season in the 24 chase elliott has not been a factor at any point this season and the same goes for alex bowman so they need some leader to be able to keep them relevant right now because uh, the young guns, and I, this is what I was fearing when you put all the pressure on a bunch of young guns that are unproven at the top level and expect them to, you know, eat their spinach and get the job done right out the box. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it's not just them that's struggling. Eric Jones is struggling at Joe Gibbs. Uh, Ty Dillon's having his struggles at Jermaine. Uh, besides Daytona, yeah, but Austin Dillon hasn't been much better at Richard Childress Racing. So uh, it's a risky situation and that's why you saw guys like Richard Childress kind of shy away and say in the past uh, they were not willing to take a shot on young drivers uh, because you know there's a big risk factor if they don't get uh, right off the bat and be competitive right out of the go so uh, I think right now if Rick Hendrick has his say uh, Jimmy Johnson's going to be there for a few more years until uh, these drivers they currently have uh, the Bowmans, the Byrons and the Elliots uh, start figuring things out because right now things are not going their way at this point. Absolutely. And, you know, we are starting to see the trend, and I think this is normal in sports where we see uh, out with the old and in with the new, and we're seeing a lot of new young drivers starting to uh, make their name as, as a lot of these uh, drivers begin to make their way to retirement. We saw Jeff Gordon recently, Tony Stewart, Danica Patrick, and, and, and most recently Dale Jr., all big names uh, kind of walking away from the sport. So, uh, you know, certainly I, I think you're right. Uh, Hendrick would love to have Jimmy Johnson there a little bit longer. But maybe Jimmy Johnson says, I've, I've, I've had it as well. Let's walk through this field uh, at Texas uh, on the lineup as far as the top ten. And we got Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., uh, Joey Logano, uh, Kyle Busch, uh, J.J., Jimmy Johnson, and Kyle Larson all round out the top ten at the Texas Motor Speedway. Well, obviously, those SHR cars, uh, they're solid over one lap. Will they be as solid over a fuel run? If they are, they're going to have a very hard time, uh, the field behind them, moving them out of that position. Uh, you look at some of the other possibilities down the list. Uh, maybe we get something for Darrell Wallace, Jr. He starts 15th today, uh, finished third, obviously, in the Daytona 500. And then you've got other possibilities. Eric Almarola, who many thought uh, got cheated out of a Daytona 500 win by Austin Dillon. 
yours truly included. He starts 12th today, so maybe he's the one that gets going for SHR. And uh, then you've got maybe a couple underdogs, maybe a Chris Busher who starts 18th uh, for the uh, JTG Doherty team, gets a run going today. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger starts 22nd. And uh, then you've got uh, some other names mired down the list. We mentioned Chase Elliott only qualified 20th. Ricky Stenhouse only qualified 26th, so Ryan Newman only 25th, Casey Kane 28th. So you got some players down there a little bit further down the list, but uh, then you've got uh, obviously the walking wounded uh, near the back. Uh, BK Racing still going despite being in receivership right now with Greg Golding. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto and GoFast having to even rely on, I think, you know, Kickstarter things to keep their team going. So... Yeah, near the top, things are going okay, but you look further down the list, and there are some teams that are in some pretty sad shape, even the teams that have the charter, uh, Tom, that uh, are in a very iffy position right now in terms of funds, even though despite the fact they have guaranteed spots in the field. Are you following the Masters at all? Absolutely, and i got to say, uh, I, I was hoping I was, was going to try to have – we ran the golf show on WSBT just before I went on the air. I was trying to coax uh, uh, the head of the Warren Golf Club at Notre Dame, uh, John Foster, to stay with us. Unfortunately, he had a couple of duties he had to get to uh, right away. But, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Reed is looking very solid, for, especially for a guy that boasted four years ago that he was a top-five player and then made a fool of himself. Uh, he's kind of mellowed out since then, had a good Ryder Cup this past year, and uh, he is right in the thick of it uh, at nine under par. You've got uh, Mark Leishman, who's close, only two shots out of it, a guy that's been in contention before. Maybe he challenges. And then you have Hendrick Stenson, who's four back. Hard to believe, considering all he's done in majors, Tom, he's been to the Masters 15 times and has finished no better than 14th. With a player of his talent, you know he's only, and he's finished no better than 14th. That's odd. I'm just- I'm enjoying some of these storylines. Uh, for example, Jack Nichols' uh, grandson hits the the hole in one in the par three. I think one of the most comical, maybe it's comical, but I think it was comical. Uh, Olu Sergio, uh, the defending uh, Masters champion from last year, uh, put uh, five a uh, record five in the drink uh, yesterday. Uh, did you see that story? And 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 and, and, and uh, got him to, to card thirteen, by the way. <laughs> so I don't think we'll see on him Thursday, wearing the drink. That's Thursday, the thing sorry, that's yeah. ruined Sergio's careers. Yes, he's had some great moments, but he's also had some embarrassing moments. I think I remember the year they were everyone's having trouble at Carnoustie. I believe it was in '99. Two rounds, he shoots plus 39 at Carnoustie that year. So he, there are times when he has been very good, but there are also times where he has made a complete fool of himself. And unfortunately, what you saw on Thursday was one of those times. Certainly the Masters is going on this weekend at the Augusta National Golf Course. I tell you what, what, probably one of the most beautiful golf courses in the world. So we'll see what happens over the next 48 hours. Currently the leaderboard uh, is Reed, Leishman, Stenson, McLaurie. uh, And Jordan has fallen down uh, to be tied with fourth. uh, As well. And so certainly, but the difference between uh, uh, fourth and and first is very, very minimal. Uh, so uh, Yeah, bizarre I, I start for Jordan, Jordan to... Spieth yesterday. He starts with six on number one and then made a six on number two. So that's a bizarre start for a player of his caliber. And he never got it going. He didn't make a single birdie yesterday and uh, now comes in uh, where he's got a little work to do to play himself back into this tournament. 
Absolutely. We've been talking with Matthew Embry of at Popular Open Wheel Now, breaking down the IndyCar race for us tonight, helping us uh, uh, doing some standby for us with uh, NASCAR. I appreciate you, you, you joining us today. One more final thing. We'll let you go, sir. Conor McGregor loses his freaking mind in New York City. What are your thoughts? The guy is a monster. I mean, I think I don't know how much more Dana White and his promoters are going to deal with this. I mean, this is, I mean, he's trying to, I don't know if he's trying to be like the Mike, the white Mike Tyson or something, where eventually he's going to grab someone, put him in a headlock and bite their ear or something like that. I mean, this guy is an embarrassment not only to MMA, he's an embarrassment to everyone in that boxing promotion when he fought Floyd Mayweather. Uh, there is nothing you could say good about this guy. Uh, yeah, he had his moments, but he's also uh, not like Floyd Mayweather where he hasn't lost either. I mean, Conor McGregor at, in the octagon multiple times has looked very, very below average. Uh, I don't know what to say, but uh, if... Dana White ever lets him back in the octagon ever again, or any promoter, whether it's Strike Force or the other ones, I believe the one that's on Spike TV all the time, if they let him back in the octagon, there is something wrong with the world. You know, I, I've had some mixed feelings about Dana White, and I tell you what, I think, see, here's the thing, it's a dying, it's unfortunately, when I say dying sport, they're just, I think Conor McGregor is the last of the great names that people know in that particular fighting uh, system, and he's certainly got a beef with this Russian, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, uh, but he's certainly got a beef with this guy, I thought at first that this was a stunt, because, you know, it's, it comes, uh, ironically, right on the heels of the comeback of the WWE this year, uh, I thought it was a stunt then you know it came out to be that it wasn't but i think also what mostly it might be is uh dana white is looking at this as an opportunity to promote a next fight and i think that he's going to try to work out a fight between conor mcgregor and um this russian guy and here's the thing now that now that uh um conor mcgregor has lost his marbles everybody in the world is going to buy this pay-per-view fight to watch uh, Conor McGregor and this Russian go at it and settle their beef. I think Dana White's going to use this as a huge marketing opportunity. Uh, and whether or not it was a publicity stunt or not, I think he's going to use it to his full advantage. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, if it was a publicity stunt, it was a costly one for Conor McGregor. I don't know if you heard he had to post $50,000 in bond on Friday. He has been arraigned on assault and criminal mischief charges for that incident. Yeah, and, you know, uh, that's a lot of money to the average Joe. Uh, that's not a lot of money to him. And I honestly don't think he'll see any jail time uh, with this. I don't think that, that'll be something that'll happen. He'll plead down. He'll pay a fine. Uh, he, he'll uh, pay some restitution costs and go on about his way. Uh, but we will see how, how it all pans out, that's for sure. Well, relatively uh, boring sports weekend uh, lightened up with Conor McGregor uh, throwing a dolly through a, a bus uh, van. Did you see the video? saw the video. I'm thinking this guy is a monster. That's all I can think right now. And there's a reason why I only talk about the women's MMA, because this kind of stuff, and I will use the term loosely, because I could say things a whole lot worse and get the FCC on our tails. 
But ultimately, <laughs> uh, you don't see this kind of junk in the MMA in the women's side of it, and that's why I support the women's side of it as opposed to the men's side because this stuff is becoming all too common on the men's side, and it's an embarrassment. I mean, it takes away from the fun of watching the main events. Hey, you know, real, talking about women real quickly, and I know you're right up there in Notre Dame country, NCAA champions, uh, women's uh, basketball in Notre Dame. Uh, has, uh, is, the, is South Bend still partying over it? Well, they're possibly partying if the men's hockey wins a championship tonight. They get a chance to play uh, Minnesota Duluth for a title. It'll be the third title in three weekends for the Notre Dame athletic program. That's a huge deal. Huge deal. Matthew, we appreciate you sticking with us for the uh, the first hour, talking IndyCar, talking NASCAR, and a uh, little uh, Conor McGregor and Masters as well. Where, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Again, we'll have uh, reviews on all the action tonight coming up on Sunday or Monday on popularopenwheel.com. That's Open Wheel Now on Twitter. And again, M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-N-R-Y on Twitter. And uh, a lot of good stuff uh, coming here over the next uh few days potentially in the next week ahead as we draw closer and closer to the 102nd running of the Indy 500. We're getting there. We are getting closer and closer, and it's going to be fun to see them testing on the Oval. Hopefully we won't have uh, bad weather again this uh, this time around. Matthew, you have yourself a good race weekend, and we'll talk with you again sir, soon, sir. Hopefully a snow-free talk next week, Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. Ha- have yourself a good weekend. Ha- have yourself a good weekend. Matthew Embry uh, joins us uh, for the first hour, uh, sticking around with us, talking some NASCAR with us. Uh, uh, we'll try to catch up with uh, Steve Wilson from uh, uh, Speedway Digest next week uh, as we recap the Texas race uh, and, of course, uh, IndyCar in Phoenix. And uh, certainly we talked a little bit of uh, Masters with us and Conor McGregor. We're going to continue that conversation coming up here with Rick Riggin, all-around good guy, our college analyst and uh, partner in crime. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new Beat-Up Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. 
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. One hour in the books. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from Popular Open Wheel Now. Dwayne is talking with us a little bit about IndyCar out in the desert tonight, as well as uh, talking a little, a little bit about NASCAR out in Texas this weekend. And uh, we uh, threw in a little talk about the Masters. And Conor McGregor joining us now is Mr. Rick Reagan. Rick, Rick, we're going to talk Conor McGregor voice all day long. How is you, sir? <laughs> hey, pretty good. Good morning, Tom, and happy National Beer Day to you and all of our listeners. National Beer Day, man. How did I miss that, man? I, I'm like the spokesperson <laughs> for National Beer Day. How did I miss that? Man? Uh, yeah. coffee, you and me both, buddy. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should be having beer. You know, we certainly uh, there's a, a lot to talk about, but we, we can kind of loosely go through things here. Uh, but let's talk. I'll just you know have a a conversation about uh, uh, Conor McGregor losing his freaking marbles in the NYC. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really understand it. I don't really know the whole backstory. I just know that a buddy, uh, you know, one of his best friends is fighting. Uh, uh, a fighter they really don't like, and it's for the uh, the belt that Conor McGregor is actually stripped of because he just won't fight in UFC anymore. So his rightfully so, they stripped him of his title, and uh, it all went go south from there. Uh, I was listening to Dana White, you know, talking about how Conor had about thirty guys in his group, you know, rush, you know, <laughs> crash the party, basically rush in, uh, you know, and it's really unfortunate because uh, now there's injured fighters and there's three fights that are canceled. Now because of this, so I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know if it's uh, he just needs to grow up. You know, he's probably 30, 31 years old. I mean, maturity comes with age. I don't know if it's that kind of thing or if he's been out of the spotlight since the Mayweather fight and now he's trying to gain some more attention. I'm not sure what it is. Well, you know, here here's the thing. When I as I was just talking with Matt. Um, I'm sorry. When when I was just talking with Matt, here's the thing. I thought this was a stunt at first because when you kind of step back and you look at this at 365 feet high, here's the thing. This comes like right on the heel of of, of uh, the return of the WWE, if you will, or whatever. And here's the thing. I thought this might be some sort of a publicity stunt, but then it turned out that it wasn't a publicity stunt. But 
the thing about it is, this is this is some people's got this kind of life. He gathers up thirty of his friends in Ireland, jumps on a plane, flies to New York City, all for the sole purpose of of uh, confronting this Russian, and that's what we'll call him, the Russian, because I can't say his name, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. Uh, but uh, the thing about it is. And, and going back to his title being stripped, his title really wasn't stripped. He just didn't want to defend it anymore. So, you know, they, it goes to somebody else. So it was kind of a, a self-choice with Conor McGregor as far as that goes. But but now as I look at this and I, and I break it down and I analyze this, here's one of the, what I think is going on here. I think we're, we're, we're creating a buildup for a fight between Conor McGregor and the Russian. And I think Dana White, no matter how much he cries about it, is going to love this. Because everybody in the world, everybody in the world is going to buy the pay-per-view when the Russian and Conor McGregor finally do fight. And Dana White's going to cash in on this. Dana White might uh, do a lot of lip service. But I can tell you one thing, Conor McGregor is Dana White's cash cow, and they're going to hang on to him. You know, you, but let's let's think about it. How, how These guys got to be off a little bit anyway. All they do is they get in the ring and hit each other in the head. I mean, we can't expect them to be the best-behaved uh, model citizens out there. So I think what we're seeing is a build-up to a fight between the Russian and Conor McGregor. Yeah, uh, I disagree with you there. Uh, uh, Conor McGregor's never going to fight in UFC ever again. I mean, that that's the way it was after the Mayweather fight. He's never going back to the, US, the, the UFC for another fight. I mean, he had two belts in the UFC, and he's lost them both because he's just not going to go back and fight in the UFC. If you can make $100 million in a boxing match, why go make $100,000 in the UFC fight? So that's not ever going to happen. And then the stunt the other day pretty much confirms he's never going to go back. Uh, there, there's the Khabib is the, the Russian's last name. The uh, he's not gonna he's if you can he can't say you're Conor a much McGregor, better man uh, than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he can't give Conor McGregor uh, any type of a fight. Uh, the only the only way McGregor fights in UFC is if Floyd Mayweather whether wants to fight in UFC or if they do a Conor McGregor Nate Diaz three. That is the only way McGregor fights in UFC. There's no other fighter in the UFC that is going to. Uh, you know, it all has to do with weight classes, and you know, and he's actually a pretty small guy. He, he probably walks around 160, 170 pounds, but when he cuts weight for fights, uh, he's down to 140, 145 pounds. So, to find challengers at, at, at that size and weight is it, tough, and that's why nobody can uh, uh, can beat him at those weight classes because he's so good. So he had to step up to 175 to fight Diaz, but he. If he fights in the 175 division, which is welterweight, uh, he's not going to last long because those are some really big guys. They punch with a different type of power. But those Diaz fights were great because they legitimately hate each other. So that is the only way that Conor fights in the UFC ever again if it's a Nate Diaz part three. Well, then what do you think about the WWE taking him on? I, I just don't see that either. I, I honestly, what I think here about another year or two is we'll have a Mayweather McGregor part two boxing match for, you know, the quest for more money, basically. And uh, I think that's the route it's going to go because he's already set for life, making a hundred million dollars off the first Mayweather fight, and he's already set. He doesn't need any more money. But I believe at some point, just for more money, uh, there would be a Mayweather McGregor two. Uh, I. 
him going to WWE is just that's totally out of the question. I mean, just watching Connor over his career, you just tell that's not the type of character he is because he loves to fight. He doesn't want to get into a scripted fight where there's a predicted outcome already. WWE is out, out for Connor, and you know he just had a a baby recently, and he's not going to do the WWE travel schedule. I hear the I hear the dude lives in a castle. I, I'm not positive about that. That has not been confirmed to me, but I that's, I that's heard probably true. <laughs> it's probably he, right. He, he, he <laughs> if lives, I had a hundred million dollars off the Mayweather fight, I think I'd buy a castle too. <laughs> well, he made plenty of money before the Mayweather fight. Uh, now, are you saying that the WWE is not real? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do think there's a lot of stuff that goes on in a match that guys will. They try to ease up or they hit each other in certain ways, but sometimes they, I think they, I feel like they really connect. You know, there's just no way the entire like match, you know, these big guys, these athletes are, are just so perfect. They perfectly hit each other with 2% power every time. I, I feel like some of these punches they give each other actually connect every now and then. I, they take on a lot of bumps and bruises, you know, during these matches. So. At times, I, I, I do believe there is, like, real physical contact just out of, you know, during the course of the match, you know, a kick or a punch or a body slam that lands awkwardly or just something that happens, and these matches take a toll on the guys. But at the same time, yes, the outcomes are already predetermined. The matches are scripted. You know, when they go fly off the top ropes on the outside of the ring, and I, I don't – they learn how to take that type of fall and impact when they hit the ground. But that still has to hurt at some, you know, somewhat. It'll hurt me bad. You know, little fat guy like me, I wouldn't be able to uh, <laughs> jump off the top rows, land on the concrete floor and combat roll and stand up and no. <laughs> so I, I do believe during the courses of matches or during the course of a week, you know, their, their travel schedule and how they do it, it takes a pretty damn big physical toll on them. Well, absolutely. You know the kind of McGregor thing. We'll see. We'll see what happens. He just lost his freaking marbles. Uh, un believable. Did you see the video? Yeah, I've seen a couple of videos. I've seen the the original one TMZ posted, and then I saw a video from uh, one of the fighters from inside the bus posted. Oh, really? I didn't see that video. That's that'll be interesting. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. So, uh, you know, last week you. Uh, we're down in the woods in uh, southern Indiana doing a bachelor party, and we talked with uh, and and I'm I'm hoping that we could get him on here in a minute. We talked with Joe from Plainfield. He he does want to have a conversation with you. So, you know, I don't know if we've got a, a good. Uh, good. <laughs> a, <laughs> I don't know if we've got a Conor McGregor Russian uh, type uh, combat scenario uh, about to happen, but. What I can tell you is he was deeply disturbed that you did not uh, invite him to the uh, bachelor party because, you know, Joe, Joe from Plainfield, that's kind of his thing. Well, geographically speaking, uh, Joe from Plainfield, just where, where's Plainfield anyway? I have no idea where Plainfield is. Is that by Indy? <laughs> yeah, it's just west of, it's just west of Indianapolis. So it's just over the by the airport. Of getting him down here, we have to be all on him to come down here. Oh, he's got a bike. Get trash for a day or two, and then drive back up to Plainfield. So you know, <laughs> yeah, well, there's we'll all try, logistics we'll to, involved with it. <laughs> we'll try to get him on here here in a few minutes. We'll see. Uh, 
Uh, Joe from Plainfield, you never know uh, what his schedule is going to be uh, because he may have uh, fallen off his bike somewhere. You know, you, you, you heard the story about where he uh, rode his bike down to the liquor store and to buy some uh, beer, <laughs> and then he couldn't carry it all, and he, he, he didn't want to drive because, you know, so he uh, – he, uh, Basically fell off his bike like seven times heading back home because he stayed at the liquor store and drank his beer. <laughs> I would I would picture Joe from Plainfield riding a riding lawnmower to the liquor store. <laughs> well, he's got one of those too. You know, you know, he, he went he took he took that down to Bike Week down in uh, Daytona where he lost his phone. So um, we we, no, we are the, going. He took his riding mower up to Sturgis. <laughs> I think so. Uh, we are joined now uh, from Joe from Plainfield. Joe, uh, we've got Rick Riggin on, and I, I talked with Rick uh, offline after our call last week, and I told him that you were very disturbed about not being invited to get lost in the woods and get trashed for the weekend, and you said that Rick has to make this right and that you wanted to have a discussion with him. And so hopefully we're not we're not uh, setting up a Conor McGregor Russian type combat scenario here. But uh, Joe from Plainfield, what do you got to say, sir? <laughs> well, Tom, honestly, I can't tell you if I'm more disappointed in my Rambling Wolves for falling apart last weekend, or if I'm more disappointed in Rick. Actually, no, I'm definitely more disappointed in Rick. What's going on, man? Why am I not invited? All right, Joe. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Tom, this might, this might get a little weird. All right, you ready? All right. I'm ready. All right. Joe, how comfortable are you with a full frontal male nudity? <laughs> Rick, man, that's a loaded question. I, I, can't, I mean, whose are we talking about, first off? Uh, I mean, I'm talking magic tricks, brainiac, flying squirrel, all that stuff. Sounds like a Tuesday, man. Okay, like you're invited Tuesday? to the next party then. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. You're invited to the next party then. <laughs> all right, perfect. So, so Joe, I, I know you were disappointed in your wolf pack, uh, the, the Ramblers, uh, losing in the, the, the final four and, and your and your bracket went to heck and back. And, you know, I know you were also kind of concerned that you uh, heard or saw that coyotes are smuggling people into the United States. And, that uh, you know, you thought that to be kind of strange that uh, coyotes would get involved with this. What is it do you think that coyotes are? I don't know. I mean, you know – What's the story uh, with Mowgli getting raised by, um, uh, like, tigers and bears? And, um, you know, so if Mowgli can be can be raised by those animals, um, you know, I, I think it's, I don't know, I guess trained coyotes ha- are able to, to, I have to imagine they're, they're only smuggling in children, right? Because they're they're not real big animals but i i think they could probably carry small children um certainly babies uh but i i don't imagine unless it's like a pack of uh of coyotes carrying like one one full grown human i don't i you know but 
like I said, I don't read a lot of science books. I told you this last week. So, so I, you know, I don't know how strong, uh, you know, one, one coyote is if maybe, you know, it, throw a saddle on them and then they can carry. I, I don't know, Tom, I'm not the expert here. Uh, I, I'm open to suggestions. Hey, hey, Rick, Rick, can you help, can you help uh, Joe uh, from Plainfield out on understanding <laughs> what a coyote is? <laughs> okay, because I was like, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, a coyote is just a, a gray and whitish colored uh, wild dog, and not domesticated. Coy- it just runs around in the woods, okay. your rural areas. I, I will bail everybody out here. There was a news story on on Fox uh, surrounding uh, people coming into the United States illegally, and they are being smuggled in by coyotes. Coyotes is a name that's given to smugglers by the U.S. Customs. They are actually people that are smuggling people. Into the- <laughs> that's why I was like, so what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to understand Joe from Plainfield. Joe Joe so has they're a, not wild has, dogs. They not the coyotes are wild dogs, but the wild dogs are not smuggling babies into the to the country. Uh Joe. So you can you can rest assured now. That's for sure. Hey, uh Joe, I wanted to find out a little bit more about your uh, experience, because I was talking with Rick before you came on about your experience down in Bike Week in Daytona, um, and that you've got a riding lawnmower that you're going to uh, be in a race with. Uh, are you going to race your riding lawnmower? Well, when when it's ready, Tom, um, it's not ready yet. Uh, definitely going to have the fastest lawnmower, uh, at least in the Midwest, hoping for for nationally um but uh you know definitely still work in progress um jet fuel i guess is is not real easy to come by and uh i'd like i'd like it to run on jet fuel so um that's kind of my main priority right now is just finding some jet fuel (laughs) well hey uh Hey, uh, Rick, I know that your prior Air Force, you've got a lot of contacts. Can you help him find some jet fuel? Yep, the uh, the fuel grade you're going to need is called JP-8. So go find yourself JP-8, go to your local airport. I'm sure, like, you know, here in Evansville, we have, like, a Skyline airport. It's, like, uh, it's really kind of right up your alley. It's, like, for gliders and things like that, and people attach, like, lawnmower engines to fabric, you know, plane wings and they fly them out of the Skyline Airport, you could probably find a place like that and get you some JP-8. Well, there okay, you go. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, just be Joe, careful with that JP-8, because a lot of people are highly allergic to it, man, so don't handle it without gloves. Okay. Um, now, all right. Important now, safety tip. Now, Joe, I think I've got some good garden <laughs> gloves. And and here's the thing, uh, did, did you ever see Talladega Nights where he's like, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on fire? And once you get yeah, on fire, you're not going to be able to see Yeah, one of my favorite documentaries, Tom. <laughs> Talladega Nights is one of your favorite <laughs> <funny>. documentaries. <laughs> yeah. What, what, why Bobby's is that? Why is Talladega... Ricky Bobby is a hero, hero of yours. Why is Ricky Bobby your hero? 
Well, man, it's it's a gritty story um, about you know about a an average guy working on the pit crew and and you know working his way up becoming the one of the greatest racers in history. Um, I you know what's not to love? It's a Cinderella story. How much you, you know? I I. Uh, I yeah, I, I identify more with his best friend, the Magic Man. Now you see me, now you don't. <laughs> well, which sounds like maybe we'd make a dream team then. I think so. Shake so and bake, Rick. So Shake Rick, and bake, uh, Rick. Joe, Joe has tried to uh, get on uh, some pit crew teams. Um, are, you, are you having any luck with that, Joe, uh, getting on, on any of NASCAR pit crew teams that you want to do? No, in fact, I've been thrown out of a couple races. Um, <laughs> thrown out of uh, some clubhouses. Um, really, things are not going well. Um, but, you know, I've still got my lawnmower. So hopefully once they see my mechanical abilities, um, they're going to be they're gonna be giving me a call. <laughs> Probably feeling, feeling a little bit silly um, for not talking to me earlier. You'll, you'll show them. Well, I just wanted to make sure that you and Rick had an opportunity to clear the air. Is everybody good? Are, are we good, uh, uh, Joe? I'm totally good. You good, Rick? <laughs> yeah, I definitely okay. feel better now. So we know yep, that, I appreciate Joe, you're, it, Rick. you're okay. Not a problem. Joe, we know you're okay. We know you're okay with uh, full uh, male frontal nudity. We know that you understand about coyotes now. We we understand about your riding lawnmower. We wish you the best, buddy. I appreciate you coming on and jumping on with us because I really felt bad that you uh, had a grudge against Rick, and Rick uh, wanted to kind of clear the air with you. Yeah, we're all good now. Still a little bit fuzzy about the coyote thing, but uh, that's all right. We'll figure it out. Well, all right, buddy. today is National Beer Day. Yeah, All today right, is National I'll, Beer Day, so if you want to get a little fuzzy about the coyote thing and drink some beers, that probably clear it straight up right there. Clear it right on up. Okay, perfect. Yep, I'm I'm already on my way. All, All right, right, buddy. Thanks, you guys. Yourself a good... Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Joe, Joe from Plainfield uh, joins us, uh, helping us clear the air there with uh, Rick Riggett. And, and those that might not know, we met Joe uh, during the Super Bowl uh, show. He called in. And, you know, we, I archived that call so that everybody can know how we got to know Joe from Plainfield. And he calls in at random times sometimes. And uh, so, uh, you know, we, we always uh, try to uh, accommodate uh, uh, Joe uh, from uh, uh, Plainfield. Uh, here's Joe from the Super Bowl. Do you have our caller back? I, I understand that he has a very important question about the Super Bowl. Uh, go ahead, caller. What's, what's your question about the Super Bowl? Hi, hi, my name's Joe. I'm calling from Plainfield, Indiana. Um, I was wondering, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the Super Bowl may be, what it, you know, what it may not be, what it could be, all these sorts of things about the Super Bowl, and I think that's great. I think it's important. Um, I did have one question. I've got this container. It's uh, large. It's orange, round. Um, it's got some bats on it, some skulls. Um, it's what we put the uh, the candy in for the kids on Halloween. It's about, hold on now, I've got my tape measure here. Yeah, it's about 15 and a half, 
you know, 15 and three quarter inches in diameter. I was wondering, Tom, now does this qualify as a Super Bowl or are there different definitions on what might qualify that? I think that qualifies as a Super Duper Bowl. I think it does too. All right, thanks for your time, Tom. I do appreciate that. Y'all have a great blessed day now, okay? <laughs> Joe from Plainfield. Rick, uh, that's that's 15 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Yeah, that's all right, though. <laughs> it's always good he comes on. It's a fun time. <laughs> so you, you kind of got lost in the coyote conversation, too, huh? Yeah, I had no idea where we was going with that. <laughs> He talked with me. He asked me. He sent me a text on that, and and he sent me the link to that. And he's like, I don't know how these coyotes are getting babies across the border, and uh, so we wanted to oh. we wanted to clear it up for. Him. <laughs> so anyway, we'll get back on track here. Uh, I promise uh, you. Uh, so we, it's always uh, good to hear from Joe from uh, uh, Plainfield as well. And you know, we got another guy from Boston that calls in every now and then. And I don't think he's calling in today, but I think we're going to try to get him on. He's a uh, a Boston uh, enthusiast and uh, really has some issues with the Red Sox. So uh, we'll try to see if we can't get him on and talk some uh, baseball and Red Sox with us. Let's talk. A little bit NFL draft, Mr. Rick Reagan, my partner in crime. Uh, some uh, things going on in the rumor mill, uh, trading down for Quentin Nelson, a real a real option for the Giants in the NFL draft. I don't like it. Thoughts? Well, uh, that rumor turns out to be true. I don't I don't like it much either. I mean, they need some offense. You know, the Eli's on the very, very, very back end of his career, and I think this might actually be the year to take quarterback if you're the Giants, uh, not offensive line. Uh, I see Quentin Nelson more of the uh, going to the Colts, something, you know, somebody like that more than I do the Giants. The Giants need some help at the quarterback position. Well, here's the thing: what we what we're seeing and what we've heard some people talk about this week with uh, concerning the Browns. Uh, the Browns may pass on Donaldson and pick up Josh Allen. Now that'll move down um, uh, Barkley. That'll move down Chubb. Um, I don't see the Colts moving from six to do anything. Uh, so we might get Barkley or Chubb, one or the other, might just land in our laps. Head. Very well may be the case. Uh, Tom, the more teams that move up, you know, and try to get into that top five, uh, that likely means that they're going after a quarterback. So when those teams are doing that, if you're a Saquon Barkley fan, if you're a Colts fan, that's great news because then that means Barkley's going to be available when it's your turn to uh, to pick. So the more teams that try to move up, it's really clear they're going quarterback. That's going to make Barkley slide down more and more and probably get in that sixth spot uh, for the Colts. Well, here's the thing. Even if even if uh, the Browns does not uh, draft uh, Josh Allen, uh, he's not going to make it past the Jets, which just puts Chubb right in our, our our laps. Even if they go, even if the Browns do uh, get Sam, Sam Darnold, and uh, you know the that in the Giants select a quarterback second overall. Um, maybe they're not ready to look at a quarterback. Maybe they are ready to look at uh, somebody uh, 
uh, like uh, Quentin Nelson uh, for them. If that's the case, maybe they feel like uh, Eli Manning has a little bit more juice in his tank, and they're, they'll, they'll worry about uh, the uh, the QB situation later on in the draft or next year. Yeah, I, I just don't know about Eli. I, I just see a broken-down quarterback. He can't move. Maybe he can still throw it. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. bells him out of a lot of throws, though, anymore. Uh, but, man, the guy cannot move out of the pocket. Uh, he's just uh, – I think it's just time for the Giants. And uh, for Chubb, you're talking about Bradley Chubb, right, for the Colts as a possible pickup? Yes. Yes, yes. So is that what you really want as a Colts fan? You know, we keep talking about the Colts need to beef up that offensive line or go uh, maybe even running back with Saquon Barkley. Bradley Chubb's a, a defensive end. So is that what the Colts are really looking for? Well, here, here's the thing. First of all, Barkley would be my first choice, and it has been for a while. I think I've said that that a lot of people say don't ever draft a running back in the first round, but, but you know, they're, they're a, a dime a dozen. Well, here's the thing. He, uh, uh, Barkley's not like any other dozen out there. So, But as far as Chubb goes, I think when you've got a guy of that caliber, you've got a guy that is is just a beast, You've got to have it. I mean, obviously, as we know, defense wins games, and our defense sucks. There's so many holes that we've got to that we've got to fill. Which one do you feel first? First is the uh, the better question. And you know, certainly we've got to protect Luck. So that's something to think about too. So you're right. Well, uh, here's the thing with Bradley Chubb. When NC State played against Notre Dame this past season, uh, as it turns out, they had to move Chubb around because he was lined up on a Quentin Nelson side. And he never even got within three or four yards of the quarterback every time he lined up against Quentin Nelson. So I would think for the Colts, uh, Quentin Nelson's your guy or Barkley. I don't think you can go wrong either way because I think you use Barkley as a running back and possibly a slot receiver, get him moved around the field a little bit and let him really unleash his athleticism because the guy is a freak. But I think uh, Barkley or Quentin Nelson are, are your two are your two. Uh, two picks for for the Colts, one or the other. I think both are correct. You're listening to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, President. If you're listening to us on the podcast, make sure that you hit subscribe or favorite on TuneIn or Apple uh, uh, Podcasts. I don't know why they just changed it from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. But nonetheless, you know where it's at. Uh, hit subscribe or favor. That way you get a push notification uh, whenever we uh, launch our, our podcast. And the great thing about our podcast is it's our live show. A lot of uh, shows out there, they, they'll take interviews and they'll take uh, segments or highlights of their show and, and create a podcast from highlights. That's not what you get. With us, you get everything uh, to include uh, Joe from Plainfield. Rick, somebody's going to be trading for Baker Mayfield. He, he may be the best quarterback in the class, and I don't believe that he's going uh, first overall, and I don't see him uh, being a fit for the Giants, even if they go with the QB uh, with the second pick, and it might be too big of a gamble for the Jets. Uh, as, as, um, as we talked about with, with Allen, uh, there's too much here to like, and off, you know, I look at teams like the Patriots, the Bills, the Cardinals, uh, the Broncos. A lot of those teams, I, I look, are going to be bucking for Baker Mayfield. I actually see Baker Mayfield sliding down to like mid to late second round, possibly even third round. Uh, his 40 time wasn't real explosive. You know, it's probably better than some of your uh, typical po- pocket passer quarterbacks. 
But uh, he hasn't done anything in the pro days or the combine that really stand out. Yeah, he's a Heisman Trophy winner, great competitor, probably a really great leader. Uh, he does have some, you know, off-the-field issues or, or small. It's really more of the, uh, you know, when he's grabbing his wiener and he's playing against Kansas, you know, that type of stuff. You, you remember that happening, you know? <laughs> I don't know if yeah. wiener's the, the – if that, that's a funny word to use for a podcast, you know. <laughs> a wiener. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, uh, yeah, he said wiener. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Tom, I honestly, I, I, I believe, and I wrote an article about this on 12versus5.com two days ago, if I can go ahead and just plug the website. Uh, but uh, my article is how – about oh, how uh, yes, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Is about how Lamar Jackson is actually the most fascinating quarterback in the draft right now. That's what I believe. Mason Rudolph is going to go in the top half of the first round. Some teams are divided on just how well this kid projects in the NFL, but there are enough teams that like him enough that that they're going to that that I see him uh, being the fifth QB off the board. What are your thoughts, Mason Rudolph? Mm, man, I, I don't know because you don't hear anybody talk about Mason Rudolph. It's kind of cool you brought him up. Uh, I don't know how many quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. It's already talking about Sam Darnold and Josh Rolls and Josh Allen, uh, possibly even Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield, and now there's Mason Rudolph sitting out there. So, to me, uh, he he's also maybe a, a round two guy. Uh, he, he's big. He's not really athletic. He's got a huge arm, though. So it, it, it's just whatever team and the offensive scheme that the uh, is what a team is looking for. But I just don't think he's a first-round talent. I mean, he had the wide-open run-and-gun offense at Oklahoma State. Uh, so they put up a ton of points. His stats were really gaudy, but that's just the way the offense is set up for him. So he's going to need need a coaching staff and a team with the same type of philosophy because if you try to slow him down, and put him into a more of a run-oriented offense, uh, he's not really going to be able to shine in the, in the NFL. You know, I continue to hear the Ravens uh, deep into this QB market. You know, they just signed RG3, uh, and they they were able to untangle themselves from Joe Flacco's contract after 2018. Uh, they, they're high on Rudolph. They, they like him a lot. I'm guessing he doesn't get by them uh, with that pick, but – the question becomes, has Arizona with the pick, uh, which right now anyway, has pick number 15, or someone else already, uh, if someone's already got him. I, you mentioned Lamar Jackson. I'm more of a Lamar Jackson guy myself, but I'm becoming convinced that uh, Mason Rudolph uh, beats him off the board. It could very well happen. It's just, uh, you know, I just had the uh, Lamar Jackson article I released on Thursday, so you Go on 12versus5.com, another plug, and check that out. But uh, <laughs> all the praise in the world for Lamar Jackson because I honestly believe he's the most interesting and fascinating quarterback in the draft. And what what are teams going to do with him? Because I, I personally feel like maybe the first few teams will take their quarterback, but I don't think Lamar Jackson makes it out of the first round. I, I think he's going to get picked up, and I think teams will be silly to pass on him in the first round. Joining us now is Grant Ostiff, uh, calling us from out in Arizona. Uh, obviously, a uh, college student studying uh, sports journalism, writes for the Kokomo Tri- Tribune, uh, as well as Indy 
Sports.com. If I got that wrong, please correct me. Grant, Grant, good morning to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing fantastic. We're talking a little bit about the draft right now, about uh, who the Colts may or may not pick up. We were talking a little bit about the possibilities of Barkley or Chubb just landing in their lap. Uh, and, you know, there's talk about Quentin Nelson and the Giants uh, trading uh, for uh, a pick to get Quentin Nelson, and that's going to push a, a lot of people around and do some shaking and baking. When you look at the Colts as we prepare for the draft, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's always interesting this time of year because, you know, when I went up to Indianapolis for my spring break, it was uh, it went to the Combine. Everyone was talking about how Barkley would be a top two, you know, or could be a top two pick, and then how uh, that would affect the rest of that top order. And then it's always interesting, like, everything uh, sort of changes incrementally. Everyone starts talking about another guy, and then all of a sudden the one they were just talking about moves down the board. I remember seeing Stephen Holder of the Indianapolis Star talk about, I believe it was uh, Bradley Chubb um, uh, and then uh, about three other guys, the Saquon Barkley, Quentin Nelson, and then there was a mystery guy who uh, they didn't have like actually listed but was high on the, the Colts board. And I think some people are speculating that that would be uh, Denzel Ward. And he's been moving up, I believe, in uh, people's boards and uh, could be even taken higher than six. I'm not positive on that, but I think that's sort of the latest that I've seen on what uh, the Indianapolis Colts could be considering with that number six or even uh, trading down. I think that's unlikely based off what I've seen also, but I think that's just another thing to keep your eye on because I don't think Chris Ballard truly made it sound like he, you know, trading down was that thing that he was going to end up doing when they were at number three. We're, we're talking with Grant Ossoff, who, who's given us a call from Arizona. Now, always uh, screw up the school. Are you at Arizona or Arizona State? Arizona State. Uh, Arizona's in uh, Tucson, so yeah, I'm in uh, Arizona State. So, uh, uh, Rick, uh, what do you got for Grant? Grant, uh, we're going to be getting into some Pacer conversation with you here in just a moment because I know you want to talk about how great the Pacers are doing. They may get made it to the playoffs, uh, certainly a, a team with a lot of chemistry. Uh, but, Rick, what do you got uh, for Grant? Uh, so, you know, the culture pick at number six and another guy we haven't mentioned today, but he has been talked about, is Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, what do you think the Colts do if Minka is still on the board and Barkley and Nelson are gone? You know, I actually uh, had quite a few uh, fellow uh, riders at my site who have had Minka Fitzpatrick uh, go to Indianapolis in uh, their, you know, their ideas like mock drafts and stuff. I think that's something they should definitely consider because if you can add, continue to add like dynamic element, you know, alongside a Malik Hooker like uh, Fitzpatrick, I think he should do it. Unless you know, there's a good trade down situation, but. Uh, being number six, it's all about adding those dynamic pieces. So I, th I would personally do that. That that would sound like a good way to further the rebuild and add a unique element to their roster. Hey Grant, let's uh, talk a little bit about those Indiana Pacers. You got to be happy where they are. And you know, and here's the thing: what I what I am kind of disappointed in. You know, a lot of people discounted the Indiana Pacers this year uh, as a team that was in the total rebuild mode, and you know, uh, 
Paul George is gone. They got Olin Depot in a trade. A lot of people are like, oh, didn't really like that so well. But, hey, it's turned out that the Indiana Pacers were the winner with this trade with Olin Depot. They're in the playoffs. Maybe, I mean, they may not win the East, but, hey, they are definitely in the playoffs. Absolutely. It's been a really a fun year to follow them and, you know, write about them and watch, you know, the fan base truly uh, embrace them incrementally throughout the year. Because, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, as you said, they weren't that high on that trade when they sent Paul George to Oklahoma City for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. But, uh, you know, I, I always viewed it as, uh, you know, I, I did not like the trade. I always felt like, you know, I believe in uh, like I've believed in Oladipo since his Indiana days, and I always felt like uh, you, you need to wait and see how things play out because he didn't have a significant offensive role in Oklahoma City, and he never truly had that massive offensive role in Orlando that he has now. And also playing alongside a guy like Russell Westbrook, who brings it every single night and shows you what it takes to be great. He never had a player like that in Orlando. And those little things may sound little, but, you know, they're, they're truly not. And uh, he, he's mentioned that as one of the key reasons as to how he became a star player, seeing how a guy like Russell Westbrook has, uh, you know, has that work ethic and comes to, comes to the office every single day ready to go. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Kevin Pritchard did a really good job of adding those cohesive role players like Darren Collison and Boyan Bogdanovich, and they've overachieved in their roles, you know, playing off of Victor Oladipo. So I think it was was an interesting – oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no problem, no problem. We're talking with Grant Ossoff. Uh, joining us also is Mo, the BS Sports Show. Mo, I know uh, we've only got you for a limited time as well, uh, and Rick, Rick is with us as well. Mo, we're talking a little bit about the Pacers and the, and the Colts uh, draft. We're, we're hearing, uh, hearing we're, uh, possibly, uh, that Quentin, the Giants will trade for Quentin Nelson. That'll certainly move uh, the, the uh, draft board around. Uh, what are your thoughts, Pacers draft, uh, what have you, sir? Well, you know, what I like about the uh, the Pacers, uh, you know, and I think uh, Kristen Airy mentioned the other night on the broadcast, you know, in, in a big spot, Victor Oladipo still willing to pass the basketball. We saw, uh, you know, a couple of big shots hit the other night, uh, and they weren't by Victor Oladipo as the Pacers came down towards the end of the basketball game. And I think that makes people want to come and play with guys who are stars when they're willing to pass the basketball in big situations. I like that uh, Bogdanovich has started to cut down on turnovers at the beginning of the season. I think he turned the ball over a little too much. And I like the way this team's come together. I think a lot of Pacers fans were really upset uh, with what Kevin Pritchard got back at first. But I think if you look at it now, it's, it's better than anybody could have hoped. I mean, it's an A++++ on this trade. It's a fun, exciting basketball team, and they're, they're in no way – uh, an easy out when it comes to this, these NBA playoffs. I'm really excited to see what the Pacers do. So, uh, uh, Mo, why we got you on, because I, I know that uh, you know a lot about this, and we do, we've we made jokes about it on the show today, but uh, what are your thoughts about Conor McGregor losing his uh, marbles in the NYC? Well, I mean, you know, 
part of it wants to believe after working with the WWE and, and being a fan of wrestling for a long time, it feels very Vince McMahonish. You know, if you look very almost uh, immediately, there's a couple different camera angles that were sent out uh, of it. Uh, I feel like uh, it, it, part of it uh, was showmanship and part of it was it just going too far. Um, it's uh, it's great for the UFC because honestly that that whole incident got more hype than this whole this whole fight coming up. I don't think there's anybody going wow, there's a they're a great card, and now you've got uh, a guy and Conor McGregor who's arguably your biggest star, uh, you know, putting you back in the news. Is it for the best reason in the world? No, but uh, you know it definitely got a lot of eyeballs back on the UFC who have, have lost star after star. The UFC to me over the last year uh, has felt very much like NASCAR, where a bunch of the big stars have gone away, and yet what have you got left? So I, I think this was good as far as the UFC goes and getting eyeballs back on it. And it's still great for the Conor McGregor brand because at the end of the day, he's been known as a guy who will say anything, who will do anything. And uh, I, I like the fact that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I'm not upset that Conor did it. I, I think there will be very few repercussions from it, and I think it got the UFC back in the news. Rick Reagan, you are up. What do you got for Grant or Moe? Uh, well, I don't have any questions for either one, but I, I do agree with Mo. It does bring attention back to UFC because, uh, you know, the past couple of years he's lost the superstars basically because Conor McGregor is uh, he, he's almost like a larger-than-life figure now. And Ronda Rousey's left of the WWE, you know, and she lost her last two fights she fought in. So they lost their cash cows. They lost their, uh, their ratings grab, you know, uh, fighters. So I, I do agree with Mo. It does bring attention. But I, I've seen uh, on Twitter, though, how people are just upset with the three fights that are canceled, that they're not wanting to pay for the pay-per-view. Because I think UFC has lost a lot of money now just based off this event for this pay-per-view. But, uh, or maybe even just wanting the pay-per-view to be uh, charged for like 20 bucks instead of the full $60. So, so Grant, uh, do you, uh, first of all, feel free to chime in on the Conor McGregor conversation. But let's talk a little bit about the East, how it's shaping up in the playoffs. Is this still the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers East? We look at the Celtics. Uh, I mean, it's great to see the Pacers get into the playoffs, and I'm all excited about it. Uh, but let's see how they do uh, throughout the first round. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts as we go into the playoffs as we look at the NBA East? It's a very interesting landscape this year, you know, with uh, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward both being out for the duration of the playoffs for the Boston Celtics. And then you have the top-seeded Toronto Raptors who kind of changed their identity in a way, becoming less reliant on isolation offense. And then the young up-and-coming, well, really, they're already here, the Philadelphia 76ers. They've been red hot led by uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And then it's looking like the fourth seed Cleveland Cavaliers, led by LeBron James, will be the matchup for the Indiana Pacers in the first round. I think that one's going to be an interesting one because their defense has been very bad throughout the season. But you just, you know, you always hear, can LeBron James and the Cavaliers flip a switch and bring it on defense in the playoffs? You know, every single year that passes, it seems that their defense as a team gets worse and worse and that, you know, that that talk gets louder and louder. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. They've had a lot of breakdowns but on defense, but last night you can see in the game against the Sixers, they were down by, I believe, 30 points. And then, of course, LeBron James is LeBron James and put up like 44 points, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists, and they almost won the game, lost by two points. So, you know, I guess it'll just be a matter of, 
you know, if Victor Oladipo can continue to play at that star level when it comes time to, you know, start the playoffs, and if their role players and supporting cast can just continue to execute. You're listening to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Rick Riggin, my partner in crime, is with us. Uh, Grant uh, also is calling us from Arizona, uh, obviously a student out there studying sports journalism, writes for the Indiana Pacers at the Kokomo Tribune, as well as his own uh, indie uh, sports coverage website as well. You know, Mo, let's dig a little bit deeper in what we're seeing with LeBron James. You know, I've been making jokes about it all week, about his little bit, uh, biff uh, with uh, Alabama and uh, um, their video that they made of a barbershop uh, and, you know, him trying to sue them. Apparently he's got some sort of trademark or, or uh, copyright infringement uh, going on that he feels that, that, that are happening there. Uh, as much as it's saying, it's the way it was photography, uh, did a photography on it. You know, I think LeBron James is focusing a lot on his brand here recently. Are we seeing, can we read into the tea leaves that LeBron James is, A, not going to be with uh, Cleveland next year, and, B, is he starting to look beyond basketball? Well, I think LeBron's looked beyond basketball for a long time with everything he does. But, you know, a week ago, how many people knew that LeBron had this web series in the barbershop, and how many people knew that uh, that uh, Nick Saban has started one? And now everybody in sports knows that each of them have one. So, and, and Nick Saban changed the name of his. They moved it to, uh, like, Alabama Cuts or Alabama Shop Talk or something like that. So, if nothing else – Either we all got played by both of those guys or it did nothing but bring awareness to LeBron's web series and by default Nick Saban's web series. So it may have looked stupid at the end of the day, and I don't think he had any any intention of going any further, but what it did was bring awareness to everything uh, that he's doing with this series. I mean, LeBron's so diversified in what he does off the court, uh, not only with his charitable stuff, but with stuff that he does, uh, and then with production companies and, and movies and being involved in the entertainment business, that this has been something he's been looking past basketball for a long time. So I don't think uh, I, I read into that is that he's leaving. Um, it, it's I think it comes down to what happens with this team at the end of the season. And when it comes to the Cavs and their defensive efforts in the year, I mean, their defense is terrible, let's be honest, and, and the Pacers can run. Uh, and I think this Cleveland team is a very slow team uh, getting back a lot of times. But at the end of the day, you've got to find a team that can beat LeBron James four times in a series. And that's uh, over the years, especially in the East, has been hard for a team to do. Is this going to be another Golden State uh, Cleveland Cavalier NBA championship? Uh, I, I think it's I think it's the Cavs. I don't. I don't know that I'm 100% sold on Golden State uh, right now with the injuries. I mean, I, I, we, I would love to see a Houston Rockets, Cleveland Cavaliers uh, uh, series. Now it it, uh, it it looks like it's for me leaning that way at this point. Uh, can Houston come up big though? They've they've tended to uh, fall apart at times in bigger games over the last couple of years with James Harden in the playoffs. So can they uh, can they continue this push like they have all season long? Will be the question. I mean, Golden State's the, the king of the mountain right now, and somebody's got to knock them off first. But uh, if I was putting my own money down on it, I would uh, probably bet on a Houston-Cleveland Cavaliers series. So, uh, Mo, real quickly, let's talk a little bit about the Masters. Uh, Sergio, uh, defending champion, on Thursday, I sent you guys out the, the link on that, put it in the drink five times. Uh, uh, but, uh, he's not getting the green jacket. But we see Jordan fall down to, and, and tied for fourth. Uh, so a lot to be seen over the next 48 hours out of at Augusta. But as we look at it right now, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I like guys like Jordan who've been there before and done it. Obviously, Sergio is the defending champ. 
had his own uh, tin cup moment uh, the other day when he put it in the drink five times. Uh, but you know, Jordan Spieth's a guy, uh, you know, who's also come from behind at times in different uh, in different uh, uh, big tournaments. So he's not he's not that uh, that intimidating like Tiger used to be coming from behind when he was still within striking distance. But I, I think Jordan at this point is a guy who's who's played this course a lot, who's done very well in this course, and has done very well in big moments. And he had that one letdown. Uh, was a year or so ago, and he knows how that feels. So uh, at this point, uh, as a betting man, uh, I've still kept my money on on Jordan Spieth and look for him to uh, to creep up and be in contention on Sunday and probably win this whole darn thing. Rick, I know you uh, missed uh, the Masters this week. Uh, certainly a lot of storylines that have happened with the Masters, but one of the biggest is uh, uh, Tiger Woods is back. He's back at the Masters, and that in itself is a huge story. I don't think we'll see it come down to Jordan and Tiger in the final round, but that would be great for TV. That would be great for the sport. But what are your thoughts, Rick, about Tiger Woods coming back to the Masters? I think it's great for golf, and it's the best thing that could happen for the Masters this year because now – you know, half the sports world, you know, are everybody roots for Tiger. That brings all all the eyeballs and, and attention onto the Masters this weekend. Of course, I've been at work the past two days. So I haven't been able to watch any of the Masters. But I think it's great for golf. Uh, I do root for Tiger. My favorite golfer is Dustin Johnson, who I believe is, is in the top ten. Is a guy that can also make a push because uh, he's very long. He can hit some of these par fives and two shots. Uh, so watch out for him making a move. Uh, I believe he's seventh or eighth right now. Uh, but yeah, I think it's great for, for golf that Tiger's back. Uh, my only problem with him is is all these little tournaments leading up to the Masters. Every time he had a decent round or hit one good shot, uh, I, I just hated seeing on Twitter how Tiger is back. Well, now we see that he's really just a middle-of-the-field golfer against all these elite players. He's an average player, basically, because of today's talent now. It, it is really great with Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson you know, and guys like that. So, if Tiger can make – he's not going to get it done in the Masters. I don't know any other majors this year he can make a push, but it's great that he's back, and uh, golf ratings are going to go through the roof uh, this year. Yeah, what I mean by he's back is he's just, he's just back on the golf course. He's actually at Augusta. He's actually playing in the tournament. He's actually competing. Not that he's going to win, but it's certainly that that's big for the, the sport uh, of golf. Uh, one more final question for Grant. Uh, Grant, uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking the NBA uh, playoffs with us and talking with us a little bit about the Pacers, how exciting it is to see the Pacers in uh, the, the uh, playoffs. I don't think anybody expected them to do that. Talk with us a little bit about how you think this playoff uh, s- scenario plays out through the championship game, the West, uh, the East, uh, is, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Mo. Do you think it's going to be another Cleveland Cavalier Golden State uh, Warrior championship game? I think the Cleveland Cavaliers, I, I think it could be, and I think that's the most likely scenario, and I'll probably go with that one. I could see the Cavaliers being taken to the brink a couple, you know, a couple times considering how leaky their defense has been. And I, I, I don't think I'll bet against the Golden State Warriors because Steph Curry will end up, you know, getting healthy past round one. And we kind of, like, while it may be a worse injury than uh, his other, you know, sprain in the past that kept him from playing in the first round or most of it in the past, I, I believe he'll be ready to go by the time he needs to play in the Western Conference Finals against likely, like, the Houston Rockets. And uh, while they, they could take them to the brink, I believe that they just don't have the dynamic um, offense, uh, like, you know, playmaking ability 
of a Golden State Warriors that doesn't rely on the, you know, elite jump shooting of role players because that's usually the first thing to go for a team in the playoffs on the especially on the road. If you know, if Houston's guys like Ryan Anderson or, you know, those types of guys aren't hot, then it could be, you know, a struggle for them. While James Harden and Chris Paul can really make plays, you know, Golden State has quite a variety of guys and I don't know if, if Houston would have enough. Grant, do you have any uh, questions or comments for Rick or Mo? I think you guys have done a really good job of covering it. So, you know, I'll uh, I'll keep listening <laughs> on. And, you know. <laughs> All right. We, we, we appreciate kind of it. Where we can do. people – yeah, that's right. Uh, you guys, I don't think he heard Joe from Plainfield, so we'll, we'll try to. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, uh, Grant, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? I write a, a weekly Pacers column for the Kokomo Tribune. Um, you can find so you can find that there. I uh, I write a Pacers analysis articles for uh, Indiana sports coverage, and yeah, that's pretty much where you can find my stuff. All right, buddy, you have yourself a good weekend, and we'll talk with you again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Grant Ossif, uh, uh certainly a college uh, student trying to uh, get out there in the world of sports journalism. I, I don't know if we should uh, uh, warn him or protect him or tell him to run for his life, guys. Uh, Mo, I, I don't know how much longer we got you for because I know you said you're working, but I, I did want to talk with you, both of you guys about this uh, Bobby Knight uh, film. Uh, the, the, uh, the film is called... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, The Last Days of Night. And then, of course, you know, here recently there was the 30 for 30 on Bob Knight. Both of these stories are designed to talk about the rise and fall, if you will, more the fall of Bobby Knight. We'll start with you, Mo. What are your thoughts about this? Do you think these these uh, films or documentaries, if you will, are doing justice by Bobby Knight? I mean, I know I'm a, I'm a Bobby Knight homer. I love Bobby Knight. I think he's one of the greatest college coaches of all time. Uh, certainly uh, he had uh, his own way of doing things, and a lot of people did not like that, uh, did not agree with that. But I think you've got you to gotta know that this guy was one of the greatest uh, college basketball coaches of all time. So when you look at these uh, movies like The Last Days of Night or The 30 for 30 uh, on how it all ended for uh, IU basketball iconic coach, what are your thoughts, Mo? Well, I mean, here's what worries me about this, because obviously they've picked a subject like Bob Knight to launch the new streaming service. You know, the thing's not going to run on TV. It's going to launch on the new streaming service. So you wonder, is it going to be somewhat salacious to draw people in? It's going to go down. When these documentaries come out, you know, you always want, uh, you know, uh, somebody uh, who is not biased in the whole situation, and you hope that that the director is not that. Um, you know, towards the end, as being a Bob Knight guy, and I got to spend a little bit of time with Bob Knight uh, in a couple of golf tournaments. Uh, you know, I, I think towards the end, uh, and actually Bob Knight uh, wrote me a very crappy letter that I'll try to put up on Twitter later today. Uh, when I wrote uh, an article uh, that appeared in the Fort Wayne paper after playing with Bob Knight uh, in the uh, in the tournament up here, that I thought that he had lost interest in uh, being the Indiana basketball coach. He had done it for so long. 
Uh, he'd had so much success, and it felt like things, that, as they continued towards the end, had just gotten to the point to where he wasn't enjoying it anymore, where he wasn't having fun. And I think we we saw when he moved on to Texas Tech that, you know, he lasted a couple of years, but he wasn't really having fun. It was more of a thing, uh, thing where he took that uh, that led to, you know, so his son uh, Pat could take over that program. So I really believe towards the end that, that Bob Knight had lost uh, – uh, you know, interest in in being the basketball coach at Indiana. Uh, you know, the landscape had changed, recruiting had changed. Uh, it was a, a whole different thing. And and at that point, you know, Indiana wasn't getting a lot of the type of recruits that they used to. And I, I think, you know, like Notre Dame football fans, the the expectations of the Indiana basketball fan are through the roof every year. And and it's hard for any program to sustain that kind of success. So I really feel like towards the end that he was really beat down. Uh, and it just lost interest, and I think that's why things occurred the way they did. I don't think he gave a damn that he was he was let go, and I think maybe that part of him was pushing uh, to to be pushed out and be and come across where he didn't have to quit. He came across and said to Indiana basketball fans, "As a martyr," and I think that it was very well planned out by Bob Knight. As you said, he didn't give a damn what people thought. He did things his own way, and I think when you look back over the career of Bob Knight. Uh, you know, I think a lot of fans will choose to look at the fact that his high, intensely high graduation rate, uh, his success, he was the last perfect team uh, and probably should have had two in a row playing perfect. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that was a hard guy to play for, and he still did it when he couldn't get all the top talent that a lot of the other programs got. So uh, I think it'll be a slanted uh, in a way somewhat salacious because ESPN is trying to draw eyeballs to this new streaming service. But I, I think at the end of the day, uh, you would you see a guy in Bob Knight that had lost interest uh, towards the end of his career at IU. Well, we'll look for that uh, uh, tweet, uh, and I'll get it out as well when you get it up there, Mo. Uh, we're, we we got about 10 seconds left on our stream, and we'll uh, merge into our balance extra for a few minutes. Uh, but, Rick, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Uh, I got no thoughts on that. Mo stole some of my answers, so that was perfect. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's all good. Welcome to the Balance Extra from this point forward for the next few minutes. It's just kind of a little time that we do, and this is just exclusively uh, for our podcast uh, people. Uh, so certainly if you're listening to us on the podcast, you're getting this, make sure you hit subscribe because, heck, this content, as good as it may be or not as good as it may be, is just uh, for you. So, uh, Rick, as, as we talk a little bit about uh, the draft, scenario logically you know we got a lot we got two what two weeks till the draft everybody's going to be doing a probably a different mock draft every single day but at the end of the day nobody really knows but if you was to put your thinking cap on uh going down to the colts or even through the top 10 who do you think goes off the board one two three four five six seven eight nine ten Uh, it, it really certainly looks like a coach or not the Colts, the Browns are going to take Sam Darnold number one. Uh, it, it just really looks that way, but we all know how the Browns, uh, they just struggle making quarterback decisions or any decisions really uh, as far as pickups and that talent translating to success on the field. Uh, but I'm going to say it, it's going to be Darnold one and, and Josh Rosen two. Uh, I don't know who has the second pick there anymore because there's been some things that have traded around, right? So uh, I, I think find the top ten, we're going to see three or four quarterbacks go off the board. Rick, I mean Mo, I'm sorry. Well, you know, here's what I'll, here's what I'll give you on that. You know, I'm going I'm going to give you an exclusive because I'm going to uh, unveil my plan as as the station I work at now. We're sadly the uh, Cleveland Browns radio network, uh, but. 
here's what I would do <laughs> if I were to, if I were the Browns. So I still believe that with the new coaching staff in 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 with the Giants, I don't believe that. He's high on keeping Eli Manning a long time. I think uh, very hard that the coaching staff is pushing the draft a quarterback. Uh, I, I know they're in love with Sam Darnold. So if I'm the Browns, here's what I do. Because if you can't be competitive, you need to be interesting in the NFL. So if I'm the uh, Cleveland Browns, I'm going to offer uh, the New York Giants my number four pick, a number three pick, and be willing to flip-flop spaces with them so they can draft the quarterback they want in Sam Darnold and draft uh, draft number two, get Josh Allen, and do all that to acquire Odell Beckham Jr. Well, it may not seem like a, a, a maybe a smart plan without a, a true quarterback there. Imagine if you're the Cleveland Browns and you've got a receiving core of Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and Josh Gordon. Uh, that uh, in itself uh, would be amazing. If you decide not to draft a quarterback, you can draft Saquon Barkley at number two, and imagine the offense you have with Tyrod Taylor at the helm. Uh, if you're about making money and making Cleveland fans happy, if you can't be great right now, you can sure as hell sell a lot of jerseys and have a, an interesting team. And the, nobody wants to put the Browns on prime time, but if you've got uh, an offense like that, uh, I, I think the Browns see a few more prime time games. If you're not sold on the quarterback and, and the Browns seem to be bouncing back and forth between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, why not make a move? Let's, 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 let's have some fun. They haven't done well when it's come to drafting. they still got a crap ton of draft picks in the second round. Uh, let's see what kind of move they can make and, and, and make a big splash. We saw the uh, Rams do that with uh, Brandon Cooks. They've uh, tried to assemble an all-star team uh, out there in L.A. Uh, if, if things stay how they are, I believe that the Browns do draft Sam Darnold one. Uh, I, the Giants, uh, it depends on who wins out that battle uh, between GM and coaching staff, whether they draft a quarterback uh, or take a, a, a guy like Nelson. But after uh, after making the acquisition of uh, – uh, Solder from New England, I think that they might uh, look at a guy like Saquon Barkley or look at uh, a receiver if they still plan on moving Odell Beckham. Uh, three, obviously, the Jets are, are going to take a, a quarterback. And then you get into some exciting things. You know, what, what's going to happen when you get down to a team like the Denver Broncos? Are they going to go quarterback even though they acquired Case Keenum and they have a couple of young, talented guys on their roster? Are they going to uh, – uh, make a move to shore up what's becoming uh, a, a bad offensive line. I mean, I think the dream for Quentin Nelson, uh, if he makes it past the Colts, is to go to the Chicago Bears where his former coach from college is. And, I mean, that to, that makes a, a 100% sense. Why not reunite the guy uh, with the coach who made him an All-American? And uh, I think the Bears are just hoping and praying that Quentin Nelson falls that far. The Colts, to me, are the ones that uh, really stand out, uh, what they do. Do they go defense? Do they go offensive line? If Barkley falls to them, do you take a guy like that? Or uh, do we see uh, Chris Ballard trade down again and try to acquire more draft picks? I think the second trade down would irritate Colts fans to no end because you have still have a chance where you acquired another second-round draft pick uh, as well as, as to now make a splash with still a top-name talent. And if all these teams move up to draft quarterbacks, there's going to be some, some real big – name talent still left when the Colts drafted six. So the Colts, to me, are, are probably the most interesting pick now, even though not trying to be a homer, the most interesting pick now uh, at uh, at number six because if people are moving up to grab to grab quarterbacks, who could fall in the Colts' lap? You could have your choice of Bradley Chubb, of Quentin Nelson, of Saquon Barkley, and then things get real, real interesting. You know, uh, Mo and Rick, you can certainly chime in here at any time. But uh, Rick asked me a question earlier, Mo, and it's kind of a hard question to ask because you're danged if you're doing, you're danged if you don't, because there's so many holes that the Colts have to fix. Uh, 
the, the thing about it is, do you want to draft an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman? Do you want to go offensive in the first round, or do you want to go uh, defense in the first round? Which is more important to the Colts, uh, Mo? Well, you know, the Colts can't rush the quarterback. That's been a problem, you know, since uh, Robert Mathis has been gone. They can't protect Andrew Luck. That's been a problem for a long time. And uh, the running game suffered. Uh, I mean, I, I – it's hard when you've got uh, when you've got to pick that high, and this is you know said to be a deep draft. You can always draft a, a running back or somebody like that later. You take a big chance when you draft a running back high, uh, like a Saquon Barkley. But you can also have also seen the rewards, uh, you know, when it comes to guys like Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, you know, protecting Andrew Luck should be first and foremost. And a guy like Quentin Nelson does that. I mean, he's a guy that feels like he's the most can't miss guy in, in the entire draft. Uh, but sooner or later, you got to rush the quarterback. And I would have thought that uh, the Colts, uh, with the, the money to spend, would have done a better job of addressing at least some of those needs uh, in the offseason. But they didn't really make uh, that big of a splash. You know, we saw what a difference a guy like Andrew Whitworth made last year going from the Bengals to the Rams uh, made a, a huge difference in their offense. And I was really disappointed at some of the moves uh, that were not made in the offseason to where you could have focused more on certain areas in the draft. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But this is a spot at number six when you've got a draft pick this high because you don't want to be drafting there next year. You've got to make the right call, and you can't mess this up. Uh, so, you know, obviously if Andrew Luck is not going, we see how terrible the Colts are. So if it comes down to it, uh, I think you go with the, the can't-miss pick and, and Quentin Nelson. Rick uh, is also our official college football analyst. Rick, as, as we look at this draft coming up, uh, which, uh, whether it's the SEC or it's the, the PAC or it's uh, uh, the Big Ten, which uh, division do you think uh, does the best in the draft? Oh, it's definitely got to be the SEC, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> the SEC is so dominant every year, and we keep thinking the SEC is, is fall, falls back in football, you know, we see the Big Ten have good have a great bowl season, and we say the Big Ten overtook the ACC for the big for the best conference, or the ACC for the best conference. But really, we had Alabama and Georgia in the national championship game, so it's definitely the SEC. Uh, it seems like half of Alabama, you know, are first round draft picks that you know Alabama football players. So there's a ton of talent in the SEC. Yeah, it, it's never been a quarterback driven league. So we don't see the SEC in that way. We don't see the quarterback coming out in the draft. So it doesn't, the SEC doesn't get talked about. But when it comes to linemen and defense like uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, guys like that, the SEC is probably going to dominate the draft this year. Kind of get some final final thoughts here in the balance extra before we wrap it up put a bowl on it. Uh, Mo, uh, Kyrie Irving's injury reveals dangers of assuming sustained success for the Celtics. I mean, I like Brad Stevens. I'm a Brad Stevens homer, and uh, certainly, uh, and I got a brain fart, but the kid from Indianapolis uh, who, I, who went to Butler, I should say, uh, who's now who broke his leg at the beginning of the season. Uh, Gordon Hayward. I, I don't know for. Gordon Hayward, thank you, thank you. Uh, but uh, Kyrie Irving's injury, uh, I think, uh, put a nail in the coffin for the Celtics this year. Yeah, I mean, I still think they were uh, probably at least a year away. But one thing it does, you know, a lot of teams are trying to uh, put together trade scenarios for uh, a very unhappy Kawhi Leonard. And what this does is it does give a chance to showcase a lot of these young guys, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs. Uh, for, uh, you know, a uh, potential suitor for uh, the San Antonio Spurs because to, you know, get a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you're going to have to give up some pieces. 
So it does give a chance for some of these young guys to get playoff experience and to uh, showcase some of these guys should the uh, Celtics decide to make the push to, to, to bring in Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Kyrie Irving's knee injury is obviously uh, an issue, but when you've already lost Gordon Hayward, why not take care of it now instead of waiting? Uh, I think they made the right call there and the right move. Uh, you know, and uh, again, it's a guy. You need a guy like Kawhi Leonard uh, on that basketball team. Imagine if you can move uh, a Jalen Brown and a couple of pieces in a draft pick to get Kawhi Leonard. You, Kyrie Irving doesn't play a lick of defense, and so you bring in a guy, uh, Kawhi Leonard, who's one of the best two-way players in the league. Uh, you know, so I, I think this it could turn out to be a win-win for the Celtics. Let them showcase some of these young guys, get uh, Irving right, and to uh, make this hard push when uh, when Hayward comes back next year. Rick, we'll give you the final word here. Uh, the Patriots, I think it's going to make some noise coming up here uh, in the draft. And I'll tell you why. I think round one went to Tom Brady. Round two is going to go to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is looking beyond Tom Brady. Uh, and I, I think we're, we got one more year maybe of Tom Brady. I don't, I, I don't know. I think we're, we may even be seeing the end of uh, an era between Belichick and Brady. Uh, but here's one thing that I do know is that uh, Bill Belichick, uh, does not like to be uh, bossed around or pushed around. And it appears that that uh, Tom Brady uh, went behind Bill Belichick's back, went to Robert Kraft on this whole Guapolo trade and wanted them to get rid of Guapolo uh, to San Francisco because that was a huge thing for them. And I think that uh, uh, Bill Belichick is not forgetting that, and he is uh, going to make it clear that he wants a quarterback to replace uh, Tom Brady in the draft. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't think they take quarterback this year if Brady's got one or two more years left. I think next year might be the year they draft a quarterback, so they'll go out in free agency. I don't know who their backup is now after uh, Garoppolo's left. Uh, but aren't the Patriots still hanging on uh, Gronk? Because isn't he, like, on the fence about staying playing the receiver two or just go ahead and retiring? Is that still an issue? Has, have you guys heard anything I about think, that? I, I think Gronk is staying. Go ahead, Mo. Yeah, uh, he's come back, and in the, actually the, earlier this week the Patriots have put out some feelers uh, to possibly trade Rob Gronkowski, but uh, after the trade of Brandon Cooks, he will be there and playing at least this season. Uh, he explored doing some other things, uh, especially with uh, with wrestling, but has decided to play this year. I, I think the Patriots have had success in, in prior years drafting quarterbacks in the second and third round, uh, which are Cody Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo. It, it's hard for me to really see them jump up and get a quarterback. What's been strange is the reports all week that uh, Bill Belichick has an affinity for Johnny Manziel. And uh, don't be shocked if Johnny plays well in the spring league, if you see the Patriots give him a look. They've taken guys who have been, uh, you know, outcasts uh, from other teams and come in and been, uh, you know, bred in the Patriots' way, Randy Moss, uh, Ocho Cinco. So don't be shocked to uh, to see them give Johnny Manziel a look if he does well uh, in the spring league. But I think if they draft a quarterback, I can't see they don't like paying those top guys that top draft pick money. So it's hard for me to really see them using those two first round picks to move up uh, higher to get a quarterback. I just it doesn't make sense to do that after getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo for a second round pick. So I, I think they stay where they are. They maximize, if not trade down. Bill Belichick thrives in that second, third, fourth round. And it's just it's it's so hard for me to see them moving up. Hey, yeah, uh, quick question: Who gets uh, back in the NFL first, Johnny Menzel or Colin uh, Kaepernick, uh, uh, Rick? Uh, I think it's going to be Kaepernick. Uh, he's got a, a workout with the Saints coming up. I don't know if that happened yesterday or today, if it's happening really soon. But he's going to be in a camp, 
somewhere this year, and I think it's going to be Kaepernick definitely is going to be back in the league before uh, Johnny Clipboard. Mo, what are your thoughts? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I think the lawsuits uh, hurt uh, hurt Kaepernick some. I think Kaepernick, Kaepernick understands the X's and O more, as Johnny Manziel obviously said that he didn't. I think if Manziel dedicates himself and puts in the work, uh, I don't think that Manziel will be on the field first, but I think he could be with the team first. Uh, the question is, with both of these guys, who brings the least amount of attention for a backup quarterback? Because that's what teams hate is a guy who's a pain in the ass with a lot of attention who's a backup. Uh, we've seen that before. So it will be uh, if a team's willing to do that and, and bring that on. And, you know, with either one, there comes a, a lot uh, of, of uh, debate on both sides. So will teams want to put up with that, uh, you know, in camp and, and during the week uh, with people asking about a backup quarterback? We saw the same thing with Tim Tebow that teams just didn't want to deal with everybody asking about their backup quarterback all the time. So that's definitely another thing that hurts both guys. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I, I, you wonder if Kaepernick's just getting to look like some African-American head coaches do because of the rule. Is he getting to look because of the lawsuit? Uh, and, and I think a lot of what happens with Manziel will depend how he plays in the spring league. If he takes it seriously and looks good, I think you'll see him invited to a camp as well. Uh, for me right now, it's a toss-up of who makes it back first. Well, Tim Tebow is still relevant. I saw where he hit a three-run homer in the double uh, uh, A of the of the uh, Birmingham Ramblin' Ponies for the Mets. So, uh, Tim Tebow is still in in the news. When was the last time you saw a double A uh, player uh, hit a three-run homer and get national news? Uh, only when it's uh, Tim Tebow. Rick Riggin, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? 12versus5.com. I've got several articles on there. You can also go on there. It's open to the public and, and, and post your own thoughts or small articles if you want to. And also on Twitter at Riggin underscore Rick. Mo uh, and yourself, where can people find you at? Uh, usually at the Waffle House, but uh, if you're not there, then on Twitter <laughs> I have my radio show. All righty. Mo, Mo and Rick Riggin, uh, this has been The Balance Guys. Appreciate you joining us. My name is Tom Mark Wassell, Presidente. Make sure you follow us on at T-Balance. Uh, and we do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Remember, don't drink or drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.